public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. To comply with the governor's proclamation declaring a state of emergency in Maryland, to minimize the person-to-person -person spread of COVID-19, we encourage citizens to stay home and watch the commissioner's meeting live on our QAC website, www.qac.org live. Or you may tune in to QAC-TV's television channel on Atlantic Broadband Cable on Channel 7 or Channel 77. Citizens may also now attend our public meetings. However, to maintain social distancing, seating will be limited. If you have any respiratory symptoms such as fever, cough, and or shortness of breath, please refrain from <coughs> attending the meeting and notify a health care provider. We are screening all meeting participants prior to entering the building. Press and public comment can also be presented remotely. Citizens can join the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org slash public comment, or you may email comments to public comment at qac.org, or you can leave voicemail comments by calling 443-262-4601. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. Citizens may also submit written testimony to the county commissioners by mail at 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland, 21617, or by email at qaccommissionersandadministrator at qac.org. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you can remain standing for a moment of silence for the innocence lost in the last couple of weeks with the violence, and especially the children, uh, one in Baltimore and one in Chicago. Thank you very much. Okay, we held a closed session under Section 3-305B1 of the General Provision Article to discuss boards and commissions and personnel. And uh, I believe we reached consensus uh, from the board for a, an appointment to the Department of Emergency Services Advisory Council. Could I get a motion on, uh, on that? Motion to appoint um, Steve Print to the DSAC. Second. We have a motion and a second, and this is uh, his term will begin July 1, 2020, and end June 30, 2022. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, thank you, commissioners. Uh, as a housekeeping item, we had a consensus to assign um, our two appointees to the uh, Bay Bridge Reconstruction Advisory Group, Commissioners Jim Moran and Steve Wilson to a one-year term beginning July 1st, 2020, and ending on June 30th, 2021. Hmm. Okay. And lastly, uh, we reached consensus to uh, approve a new four-year contract for Margie Houck, our executive assistant to the commissioners. Can I get a motion there on that, please? Motion to extend Margie Houck's contract for an additional four years. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? I just one question. Does that mean at the next meeting we get to swear her in? Again? <laughs> we certainly can. I don't think we have to swear. I've never been sworn in again, but I mean, if you 
sworn. We've never seen you sworn in. Right. So, yeah. Plus, we changed the contract. We'll put you on the agenda and, yeah. and uh, yeah. swear you in. Mm -hmm. Linda, Linda will help you. Okay. okay. Uh, any other discussion? <laughs> Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. That brings us to uh, today's agenda. The agenda for today's meeting, June 23rd, 2020, and the regular and closed session minutes from your June 9th meeting were distributed electronically for review. Do we have any additions and or corrections? I didn't. Good to go. We've got two additional desk items. Motion to approve. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve. Any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. You want to turn to um, tab number three. We have some action items for you this evening. I believe we have um, 16 action items and two desk items uh, to cover. Uh, tab three, item one on page one is the declaration that would effectively terminate the state of local emergency in Queen Anne's County due to the pandemic. I move to sign a declaration terminating the state of local emergency. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Yeah, I'd like to just remark that uh, that panel did spend many, many, many long hours and a lot of work went into it and our thanks to them for doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to say what exactly for our TV viewing audience does this mean? This means the, the control of the county comes back to the county commissioners. Uh, Dr. Ciotola has a, had it for the last two months, three months? Three. Three months. Three months. The last three months. Why? Well, time flies. Um, so now this brings it back to us. Uh, I guess my question would be, on CARES money or any of the other financial stimulus that we have for COVID-19 through the health department, this doesn't uh, hinder or or prohibit any of these finances from still flowing through and it does not uh, the cares money has to be expended by the end of this calendar year there is that constraint on the cares money and the uh, the stafford act through fema uh, as long as the state is under a state of emergency that still qualifies for us to seek reimbursement uh, for those funds which is a 75 percent 25 percent split uh, so we still have that availability to us uh, going forward as long as the state is under uh, a declaration and, and so by signing this or, or, or voting to have our commission president sign it and, and end this um, and giving responsibility back to the commissioners, um, are we saying we believe that the emergency operations center, the EOC, is no longer necessary to run the day-to-day -day functions of our county? We don't right. need that entity anymore. Not, not necessarily. It can, it can continue. Right now they're doing two days a week, and I think they are ramping that down as, as okay. uh, the weeks go on. Unless there's a, a, a big change, I think that'll probably uh, they'll do more of that virtually, but they can still manage that through the EOC if they, if they like to do that. And it's not to say that the commissioners can't use them as a resource moving forward anyway, regardless of whether That's we correct. officially mm -hmm. on paper take control of the county back. Right, and if there's some unexpected spike, we can always institute a state of emergency again. Correct. And reconstitute the EOC, right. okay. but right now, things are going well. Right. Okay. Locally. Locally. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the, that's the big thing. And the EOC did a great job of getting us through that, and Dr. C in particular. Oh, the, the information that was job. disseminated to us on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis, yeah. over the last three months was well, the amazing. Fact that we've got three people in the hospital out of 50,000 is pretty, I mean, look at what's happening down south. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I like to say that in, in my almost seven years as a commissioner, I've had to sign two of these declarations, one with a tropical storm and this one. Yeah. So that's that's a rarity. It's a very rarity. And I'd like to say, you know, thank you to Dr. Ciotola, the health department staff and our emergency services. Everybody's done an outstanding job uh, with this pandemic. And God willing, we don't see a surge come back on us. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to see the county moving forward. So with that being said, any other discussion? I think we should also say the people should still make, make sure they're exercising caution when Absolutely. they're out social distancing. Mm-hmm. COVID is, is still yeah, out this there. Simply does, this just change. It's just an operational thing. Here That's correct. Right. That's correct. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Okay, item two on page two is the second amendment to the purchase and sale agreement that we have with the Chesapeake Bay Beach Club. And this is a, an amendment to our purchase and sale agreement of the eight-acre property adjacent to the uh, Chesapeake Bay Beach Club, the Vineyards property. They just received a, um, official site plan approval on that in May. They are continuing to, um, to work th- towards uh, purchase of the property. The COVID uh, delayed things a little bit for them and their lenders, and this is, about a, this is a six-month extension on the um, outside closing date for the sale of the property. I move to execute Second Amendment to purchase and sale agreement with Chesapeake Bay Beach Club. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? <coughs> Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 3 on page 11 is a grant support letter for the Sudlersville Community Betterment Club for a historic uh, a museum project they're working on up there. I move to sign a letter to the Director of Grants and Awards Program with the National Trust for Historic Preservation for the Sutherlandsville Community Betterment Club. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? I'll ask. This is in the town limits of Sutherlandsville. Mm-hmm. With their financial concerns that they have, what happens with this if something goes wrong with this? Does this is there any is there any risk taken on by the county by doing this letter? And yeah, there, there's no additional risk that would be undertaken by Queen Anne's County government. This is a, on a property located near the train station museum in Sudlersville. They own the land there uh, near the railroad tracks, and um, it's to be in honor for um, uh, Hall of Fame player Jimmy Fox, among other things. So they're they're trying to you know get support for this moving forward so it's just kind of in the beginning stages okay this is a second we did the one last meeting that was to one of the agencies this is just to another agency yeah. is my understanding okay. another funding source so already yeah it's not really clear to me why they're even asking for it because right. it doesn't change anything right but, well, that's what i was wondering well it's they they had asked them if to, to get if they could get the local county support from the commissioners and that kind of thing mm-hmm. that's happy to so, do it yeah sure all right. Uh, let's see. This is to sign the letter to the Director of Grants and Awards Programs with the National Trust for Historic Preservation for the Southernville Community Betterment Club. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 4 on page 12 is a signature request for the um, semiannual progress report for the 2020 Housing Study Grant. I move to Commissioner President Moran sign 
the semi-annual progress report as presented for the community development block grant number MD-20 CD-4 regarding the QAC 2020 housing study which covers the time period of January 1st, 2020 through June 30th, 2020. I'll second that. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 5 on page 15 is our annual dues and assessment from uh, MACO. We get a motion to approve that. I move to pay the $15,113 for the FY 2021 MACO dues and assessments. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on this item? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioners. Item number six um, was a mutual aid agreement uh, for law enforcement, and the sheriff asked us to That's delay been put this. Put on hold. Put on hold. Yes. Mm -hmm. That'll come back at a future meeting. Mm -hmm. So we can move on to item number seven on page thirty-two, which is a property tax credit for a disabled uh, emergency worker. Can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve property tax credit for disabled or fallen emergency workers in the amount of $6,048.31 for John Adkins, Jr. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? I'm going to ask the question. Is, is this uh, individual, was, was he disabled in Queen Anne's County or is he disabled and moved to Queen Anne's County? I'm just curious, is this something that's from within the county? I know it's something that we give, but I just don't know if... There's not enough details here. Well, I know, I understand it, but I guess to that point, if I was a disabled emergency personnel, I'd move to Queen Anne's County. <laughs> and and I, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that. I just am curious if, if you could, could yeah. for the back little uh, information for the commissioners, find out who qualifies for this and, and, and some, uh, some parameters that you sure. can email the commissioners. On yeah, this. I don't have the details. No, that's what I'm saying. Just, but I, I can we'll move point. forward with this, and just uh, I'm just curious moving forward with other ones. Wait till you see what I do when I leave. <laughs> I'm, I don't even want to know what that's going about. So, so uh, we, we've done this before. Yes. Um, and we, the one before I knew was somebody local. Right. So this the individual, and that's all. I'm just curious what how they. So if this is the John Atkins Jr. that I believe I know. He, is retired DNR and has lived here his whole life. There you go. So that's all. All right. Uh, any other discussion? Seeing none, we are, have a motion to approve the property tax credit for disabled or fallen emergency workers in the amount of $6,048.31 for John Atkins, Jr. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Item number eight on page 33 is a memorandum from uh, Scott Haas, and this is in reference to an agreement that they have uh, negotiated with Motorola for a 10-year um, service contract for their 911 system, and it does provide some cost savings. So um, Scott's here if you have any questions, but can I get a motion on, on this, please? I guess I should read this. I move to authorize Director of Department of Emergency Service execute a multi-year contract Motorola Solutions for maintenance and life cycle services for a total cost of one million nine nine four five nine zero point one two. Somebody second. Okay, discussion. Two million dollars. How many years? Ten. Ten years. 
And what what were we paying before? What I mean, it, it sounds like if you if you look at the second sheet, uh-huh. uh, basically what we're paying is the first column on that sheet where it says annual five percent. What that's illustrating is right now we're doing a year-to-year contract. Mm-hmm. So year-to-year at a minimum, there's a 5% escalating cost on it. Because we're year-to-year right now, it could be 5%. It could be more than 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, and Motorola has a history of, of being more than 5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now with our radio system in the agreement that we have with the state, we have to stay in line with the state. So as the state does upgrades, we have to maintain the same upgrades the state does. And this enables us to do that. So this year, when the annual contract came up, we negotiated a multi-year contract to get the price difference and see if we could get any price savings for down the road. So basically what this does is if we go with a 10-year contract, it's a 3% escalating cost, and we save about uh, a quarter of a million dollars over the 10-year period, where basically we get one year for free. Is Motorola, were they doing it before? On a year-to-year basis, or did you have a different company? So when we switched over to the state radio system, the first five years, we had a five-year contract with them for the maintenance. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the five years, we went year-to-year. So the last three to four years, we've been on a year-to-year contract with them. Okay. So you know their tracker. You're you're familiar with everything they do. So there must be a comfort level here you're being able to sign for 10 years. I don't foresee the state changing the radio system over to a different vendor mm-hmm. for the next 20 years okay. at a minimum. Uh, we're locked in, and basically we've got no choice. We're either going to go year to year or we're going to do the 10. Right. And we're just trying to negotiate some cost savings for the Oh, no. Taxpayers appreciate $260,000 in savings. <laughs> yeah, so, I would no. think so. No, thank you. Any other questions? No, we had a motion and a second. We do have a motion and a second. So... Uh, but- so but when Stevie read it, I think he read the cost savings of $1,995,000. I think that's right. actually the I'm contract price. Yeah. Okay. Did yeah. I read it wrong? Yeah. No, yes. So uh, what we are voting on here is to authorize the director of Department of Emergency Services to execute a multi-year contract with Motorola Solutions for maintenance and life cycle services for a total cost of $1,994,598.12. Which is a cost savings no. of... Which which will turn into a, a savings of two hundred fifty nine thousand four hundred seventy dollars and ninety one cents. There you go. Ninety one cents. There you go. We want that. One hundred percent correct. Thank you. Thank you. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. So moved. Thank you. All right. Oh, thank thank you. you, commissioners. Yeah. Director Haas. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, commissioners, uh, we'll move on to item number nine on page 35. Uh, this is a, a, a memorandum of understanding with the Workforce Investment Board for phase two of the Small Business Assistance and Recovery Plan that um, Economic and Development and Tourism has been working on with the Workforce Investment Board, and we did a budget amendment for this uh, last meeting. Can I get a motion on that? I move to support and sign the MOU with the Upper Shore Workforce Investment Board to assist in Queen Anne's County's new employment assistance program as part of the overall small business assistance and recovery plan related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Heather's out there if you got any questions. Yeah, I thought she was. Questions? Heather, are you out there? Heather is here. If she if you have some questions, she there can. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> you want to briefly... Everyone's still with me. Tell everybody what this... 
actually is? Oh, sure, sure. Um, back in March or April, when we were developing the, the plan related to the CARES funding, we developed a two-part program. The first part was a $2.5 million grant program, which is rolling, and the second part is the employee assistance program. As you all know, we've, we have workforce dis disconnection here in, um, in Queen Anne's County where we have a lot of jobs, or not a lot, but a good portion of jobs that are open and we don't have the skill set to meet it. And then that is compounded with the current COVID unemployment rate, which um, as you could probably see from the, the memo I provided, we were at 3% in March and in April we were up to 10%. And they did um, indicate that there were specific industry sectors that were affected by that, the hospitality sector, there was some uh, medical, but I, which I imagine that some of those offices weren't open, and that's why that was the case. Um, so 24% of that unemployment was accommodations and food service, 16% retail trade, and 16% from the healthcare um, and social assistance type of um, jobs. So um, we would like to work with the Workforce Investment Board, which um, specializes in on-the-job training, to match employees that are either underemployed or unemployed within Queen Anne's County with those jobs and offer them on-the-job training. We focus on on-the-job because that can happen whether we have COVID or not. They can train mm -hmm. while they're there. The great part about that program, and, and again, it's what they do ongoing, is it's a 50% match. So in essence, we're doubling the money. So I'd like to put 200000 towards it, but the employer will match the other 50%. Um, so I feel like it's a really good opportunity for us. We have the connections with the businesses. We've reached out to several of them who are interested in the program, um, and then we're going to work with the Department of Labor and Tom Ryder to, to match the employer, the employee portion of it together. So it's like a matchmaking. And then Workforce Investment Board will handle the contracting and the management um, to make sure that those contracts, you know, go as planned and will reimburse for those costs. Excellent. Great. Anybody have any questions for Heather? Okay. We're, we're, we have a motion to support and sign the MOU with the Upper Shore Workforce Investment Board to assist in Queen Anne's County's new employment assistance program as part of the overall small business assistance and recovery plan related to COVID-19 pandemic. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Heather. Thanks. And only one thing I'd like to add to that is, and I've talked to Heather already about this, and it's something that we, I think we just have to keep in mind. Um, I didn't want to muddy the motion up with it. So, But uh, going forward, this is money that's been sitting there idle for some 20 years, uh, close to 20 years, mm. that, that was originally a grant for small business assistance. And it's been sitting there. Well, I guess it got retrained to what it could be, and it really kind of only fell into working with the WIB. But if you, it, the, she didn't do the whole program justice because she was on limited time here, but it's something that I think we really ought to look at in the future as we continue to maintain this fund with the Workforce Investment Board because I think it's not only an opportunity to fill, get people employed now post-COVID, but I think going forward I think it's a great opportunity to provide training, training for people that are in jobs that want to move up in their existing jobs and may not want to have to go across the bridge, but that opportunity could stay here in Queen Anne's County. So I think it's something... You know, we don't have to put 200000 in it, but constantly keeping that thing floating to where it's something, a tool in the toolbox for businesses here, I think would be a good idea for us to look into. Sounds like a winner. Great. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you, Heather. All right. If it's okay, Commissioners, can we pause there? And we have uh, three public hearings. Um, first one's start at 6 o'clock. I'd like to welcome... Uh, County Attorney Patrick Thompson. Long time we haven't seen him for several months. As a to uh, appreciate the hearing. I, I smelled coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Margie's. Already Margie up. just she's jumped, on. didn't she? 
Tab. I'm going to turn to tab number seven. Seven, that's it. Yep. First, we have County Ordinance 20 03, timing and development of impact fee collection and assignment of an administrative fee for the processing of deferred impact fee payments in Queen Anne's County. Ready? Patrick, take it away. On March 10th, okay. 2020, Commissioner Moran introduced County Ordinance 2003, a bill entitled an act concerning the timing of development impact fee collection and assignment of an administrative fee for the processing of deferred impact fee payments in Queen Anne's County. For the purpose of clarifying specific standards in the unincorporated areas of Queen Anne's County for the imposition and enforcement of development impact fees in Chapter 18.3-7 of the Code of Public Local Laws, by amending section 1837 of the uh, Code of Public Local Laws. This hearing is being held Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020 at 6 p.m. in the County Commissioner's Meeting Room, Liberty Building, uh, 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland. The Planning Commission has sent a favorable recommendation to the County Commissioners regarding the proposed amendment. Copies of the proposed ordinance have been available at the County Commissioner's Office during normal business hours and online on the county website. Citizens may also participate by email, live video, meeting ID, and audio, all of which were advertised uh, uh, prior to the meeting. Speakers will be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony of any length can be submitted on or before the hearing date to the county commissioners. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and system listening systems are available. Part of the record of the proceeding will be a certificate of publication indicating that notice of tonight's hearing was published in both the Queen Anne Record Observer and the Ken Island Bay Times, and newspapers of general circulation in Queen Anne's County. I don't believe anybody signed up. I don't see anybody out there. We don't have any comment or emails at this time. Mm -hmm. Okay, well. We'll go ahead and close the public comment portion. Go on to hearing two. Going on to hearing number two. All right. This is a hearing with respect to County Ordinance 2005, introduced on March 10th, 2020, by Commissioner Corcherino, a bill entitled An Act Concerning Lot Width Dimensions, Dimensions, and Other Bulk Standards for Duplex Units in Graceville Neighborhood Commercial and Graceville Village Commercial. For the purpose of making consistent planned residential development standards outlined in 18.1-36 with lot width dimensions and other bulk standards in the GNC and GVC zoning districts found the Code of Public Local Laws of Queen Anne's County by amending Section 18.1-32-D2-B5-B and 18.1-33-D2-B5-B of the Code of Public Local Laws of Queen Anne's County. This hearing is being held Tuesday, June 23, 2020, at 6.05 p.m. in the County Commissioner Meeting Room, Liberty Building, 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland. Planning Commission has sent a favorable recommendation to the County Commissioners regarding the proposed amendments. Copies of the ordinance have been available to the County Commissioner's Office Prior to the hearing, during normal business hours, and online on the county website, uh, citizens may also participate by email, live video, meeting ID, and audio, as was set forth in the advertisement for tonight's hearing. 
speakers will be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony of any length can be submitted on before the hearing date to the county commissioners. All hearings are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening systems are available. Part of the record will be a certificate of publication indicating the notice of the hearing was published in the Queen Anne Record Observer and the Kenan Bay Times, newspapers of general circulation in Queen Anne's County. A public comment with respect to County Ordinance 2005. Tom Davis. We're going to nobody, close that. No, there aren't any emails, and nobody signed up through the Zoom to comment. So we're going to go close that public comment. Move on to the next. All right, a little early, but <laughs> over ten to six down. Um, this is hearing on County Ordinance Number 2009, a bill entitled "An Act Concerning." Carryover of vacation leave for the purpose of revising the amount of vacation leave that may be carried over from calendar year to calendar year from 520 to 600 hours by amending section 2791 of the Code of Public Work Laws of Queen Anne's County. This hearing is being held Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020, at 6:10 p.m. in the County Commission Meeting Room, Liberty Building 107 North Liberty Street, Central Maryland. Copies of the proposed ordinance have been available at the County Commissioner's Office during normal business hours and online at uh, the County website. Speakers will, will be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony of any length can be submitted on before the hearing date to the County Commissioners. Citizens may also participate by email, live video, audio, uh, as indicated in the advertisement for night's hearing. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening devices are available. Any public comment with the request? Nobody on the email and uh, nobody signed up on Zoom. A notice of this hearing was posted in a billboard in the vicinity of the hearing room. No public comment? We're going to close 20-09's public comment. Did. So we'll leave the record open for three weeks on these to our next meeting? Yes. Three hearings? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Is it three weeks? Yeah, because we have an odd. It's not. It's one of the odd meetings. Oh, okay. Give me as a question. Thank you, Pat. You do. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I was going to say, while we're in legislation, we have uh, yes. two bills that we can uh, – we have available for introduction. The first one is 20-04, Accessory Dwelling Unit Provisions in the Resource Conservation Area. I'll introduce County Ordinance 2004. Okay. Now, do you need the motion? You need a, yeah, yeah uh, Jack, uh, if you don't mind, we have read because it has to go to the Critical Area Commission. So. So I take it we'd have to vote on this. So we need to make a mo- This has got to be a motion. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. You got it. Uh, I move to introduce and conceptually approve uh, text amendment county ordinance 20-04 as presented. I further move that this application be conveyed to the Critical Area Commission for its consideration and approval as a local program refinement. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Covered, Amy? Thank you very much.
All right. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you, Amy. Uh, we had we one have other a, desk item, and yep. this is County Ordinance Number 2010. Oh, I'll introduce it. Yep. Okay. All right. That is the, the tax sale, so we can we, we have postpone to have a hearing. Postpone tax sale. Right. Excuse me. Postpone the tax yes. sale. Yes. Yes. So this we, is for the purpose of we have to have a hearing uh, to do this tax sale. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Okay. So, is there a motion you have to read? No. That one just has to be introduced. Then we'll have a hearing, and then we'll vote on it. And, Poor Jack. Yeah. That's okay. That's a, all right. all right, that's all we have for legislation. Commissioners, if you want to flip back to tab 3, item 10 on page 35. So. This is the uh, Corsica River Maintenance Dredging. This is a contract award for the dredging operations uh, with Ray Alorn's base bid of 263000 So can I get a motion on that? I move to authorize Department of Parks and Recreation enter into a contractual agreement with Ray Norns, is that? Ray Norns, Inc. for dredging services. This contract will be for the base bid of $263,000 with options to execute four ad alternates and change orders as necessary up to a total of $351,550 for services Ooh. described in the invitation to bid addendum and bid proposal. The contract award shall be contingent upon pending approval of wetland permits. Funding will be provided by MD-DNR grant funds as identified in the Corsica River Dredging Capital Project number 33001. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Any nays? No, there isn't. All Very right. good. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. You guys can stay right there. The next uh, item, number 11 on page 52, is a request to reinstate a part-time contractual position into the Queen Anne's County Public Landings budget. And this was uh, kind of a, an oversight on the, in the budget process. This is a position that was there. We want to put that back and fill that. And this is for the uh, Enterprise Fund Public Landings Division. I move that a... 1,300-hour part-time contractual position with a salary and benefits cost of $30,294 be reinstated into public landing, fiscal year 21, operating budget number 330010. And I authorize the hiring of a staff um, to address a significant seasonal needs of the public landing division. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Did you mention that this was enterprise? This is, fun- this, is, this is an enterprise. Uh, this is funded by the, the ramp permits. Ramp permits. Very yeah. good. Okay. All right. Uh, any other questions? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. There we go. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item 12 on page 53. This is, again, with the Corsica River dredging. This is a, um, a request to allow the Department of Parks and Recreation to uh, execute temporary easements with four property owners for that project. I move that the Department of Parks and Recreation be authorized to execute temporary easements with four property owners to place piping on private property associated with the planned Corsica River dredging project number 330001. I'll second that. So so temporary piping. So is that to get the spoils to from one one location easier to truck out or? 
No. Oh. Walmart, Walmart, yes, we're, uh, we're uh, gonna, it's going to go from the Corsica River up uh, adjacent, along these four properties into a containment facility where it all settle out. So it's oh, no, okay. no trucks involved, actually. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so, so you can spoil from one spot to another spot. Yes. Via this pipe. On the bottom of the Corsica up on the land. They're going to pump it up on the land. Okay. And then it settles out, and then, then you drain off the water. Yep. And then, like, because this is the same site you've used before. Yes. We're so almost, they've already dug that old spoils out of there and moved it. What happened to those spoils in the, <coughs> in the long haul? Uh, we're days away from finishing doing that um, from two dredges ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just used on site um, for beneficial use on agricultural, adjacent agricultural land. So it just, we strip the topsoil, put this down, we'll add some lime, and we'll put the topsoil back. Really? Wow. We had to do a lot of testing. It's probably the highest, best use of the testing was the highest standard to do that. So huh. it proved is there it was. Any, is there any toxicity in that bridge, or is it? Is it, it all passed all the. It's just the mud. Right. It depends what you how you use it. There's different tables in this beneficial use of dredging. So if you were to take it to Baker's, it, even though it would have to meet a standard, it might be different than the agricultural standard. So it's, we we had reached the highest standard for that we, that they allow. This is a rather stupid question, but isn't the glunk at the bottom of the river mainly just organic mud? It's whatever has settled out. So you know it's and. Pretty benign surroundings coming to it, so it's not an industrial site, for right. instance. Or, oh. Yeah, you don't have any heavy metals in there. No, it passed all those hurdles. And that was done about a year ago. Does it have a, a good nitrogen content? Is that why it's being used on the ag farms? I mean, cause it, um, I don't remember the details. I would say it was, yeah. There's a lot of organic matter in it. It's silty, right. um, which makes it ideal for. Yeah. yeah, and it, it just it worked out because they had some undulating lands that now it's a little flatter. The topography we, we hired McCrone to design the um, layout of that, to, and so we're. Gee, Steve, we could use that at the Ken Allen High School baseball field. I know the outfield is kind of <laughs> undulates. <and laughs> No we, can, we can bring some spoils in and flatten that baby right out. We'll have some more. <laughs> there you go. We could also purchase a machine that does that. Too. Oh, yeah, right. Bye-bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Did we vote on this? <laughs> Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Okay. We're in discussion so we're, mode. Right, uh, on spoils. I move that the Department of Parks and Recreation be authorized. Oh, this, no, temporary easements, right? <clears throat> yes. Uh, Four property owners who are replacing piping on private property associated with the planned Corsica River dredging project 330001. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 13 on page 54 is the uh, detention center property acquisition contract. This is for the purchase uh, from the town of Centerville, the 6.413 acres of land needed for the detention center expansion and renovation project for $160,000. I move to sign the purchase contract with the town of Centerville in the amount of $160,000. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Thank you, Mr. Stanley. Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Next, we have three budget amendments. The first, uh, item 14 on page 66, budget amendment CC35, public landings, 
Corsica River dredging in this amendment establishes additional budget authority of $500,000 for the Corsica River dredging project. I make a motion that we approve uh, budget amendment CC-35. Second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, thank you, Commissioners. Budget Amendment CC36 is item 15 on page 67, and this is a series of adjustments to capital projects that um, we adjusted as part of the FY21 budget work session. So this redistributes those funds for um, those, those adjustments. I move to approve Budget Amendment CC36. <coughs> second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, thank you, Commissioners. Our last budget amendment is item 16 on page 68 and 69, and this is budget amendment CC37. The Department of Aging received um, an FY20 CARES uh, grant for $1,125,000, wow. and these can be used for operating funds this year and into next year. So this is this is good news for us. This will help um, our Department of Aging um, manage, you know, the, any any shortfalls in grants that they get next year. So um, this is a good good thing for the uh, our aging group. Excellent. Does it cares actually money. the way I read it that they can actually supplant existing funds with this to move that money over to other programs? That's right. They, they can do that. This okay. is very flexible and to, to use this money, and it is for as I mentioned operating uh, right, expenses. Right. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we need a motion. Yes, we do. I make a motion that we approve budget amendment CC-37. And I'll second that. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 17 is the um, desk item. And this is, if you want to have a discussion, about the Roman Coke and Mattapique fishing piers. So I think uh, Director Steve Chanley is here. Mike Watson and James Wood. So, all right. So I'll read the motion. So there you we go. Can. Far away. Um, I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation, Public Landings Division, to change the operating hours of Romacoke Fishing Pier and the Mattapique Fishing Pier to open at 6 a.m. and close at 9 p.m. daily to all participants effective July 1st, 2020. Second. Any discussion? Yes. Does that also apply to the Mattapique Beach? Why not? I believe uh, Mattapique. What are the hours of Mattapique? It's already restricted. Don't we already have hours at the Mattapique? Yeah, Mattapique's dawn, sunrise to sunset already, right? Right. Yeah. So, so this is specific to the two fishing piers only. Right. So, but the signs that we have posted, <clears throat> Mike, if I'm correct, say sunrise to sunset. So, should 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 this in should we change those signs to, to specific times or? Sunset so Oh, okay. Yeah, good point. It's it's dark. We don't want them there. Yeah, right. Okay. See, and that's that's what I was thinking when I talked to Todd the other day about this. Is if we, go, I know the sunset is subjective and yeah. it could come into problems. But in the winter time, you have people out there at night could be partying at night, and that was one of the concerns at Romacoke. So because you figure that's four hours of nighttime at that point in the winter, right? Or in the fall even. But we send, we will send an employee, a ranger, somebody's going down to lock the gate. Will have so they're the ones that really are going to determine what time it closes. So when they say sunset and that vehicle pulls up, everybody has to vacate the premises right. to lock the gate. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I agree. Sunset, I think, 
is the right. better way to go. So I'm fine with Sunrise Sunset. Cause okay. Not to thinking about it, it's not the honor system because we got to lock the gate. We got to protect county property. So uh, I'm good with that. Any other discussion? I think we, we get a tremendous amount of mileage out of this for the folks that live down in Romaco. Correct. This has been something that they've been concerned about and complaining about for a long, long time. And in any case, and to all the people out there who know that right now it's 24 hours. So right. some of these, the Romaco one is right in a residential neighborhood, and the people who live there are being impacted by that. Very good. So we just want to restate the motion? Yes. So we are voting to move. To, to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation's Public Landings Divisions to change the operating hours of Roman Coke Fishing Pier and the Mattapeak Fishing Pier to be open at sunrise and set at sunset daily to all participants effective July 1, 2020. Second. We have that motion and that second. Uh, any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. So I read the motion. No, we changed it to, to say sunrise. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. All. Yes. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item number 18 we have is um, discussion on Mattapique Beach, Ferry Point Park, and Terrapin Nature Preserve. And um, just a little background on that. On this is uh, due to you know significant crowding at these very popular sites during um, the recent months. Uh, we've been having some conversations about how to man better manage the uh, the crowd capacities at these locations. So I think we had some options here if we want to. Um, discuss those, whether we want to limit that to a, a certain capacity, uh, local residents, Maryland residents, uh, so forth. So I'll turn it over to Director Chanley and Mike Watson. So obviously, as everybody has, has heard, the, the parks um, as an, a whole entity has just been inundated with, with people, not only on trails, but at, you know, at these three sites specifically. Um, you know, we need to do something to to kind of get it back under control and you know I, I think there have been numerous conversations and one of the things that you know we want to make sure is that you know the decision that we make is is timely because is what we've started to see is from having skyrocketed numbers from two weeks ago to now the numbers are starting to to dwindle down um, so that's something that you know we should take into consideration um, I looked at last year's numbers from from May 1st to about September 1st, and then, you know, compared it to um, the current standard of, you know, during this uh, pandemic period. Granted, we're probably about double, triple sometimes um, during that time. So we um, have kind of gone through, looked at square footage, um, the total number of people that you could fit there, still encompassing the, the six-foot um, social distancing aspect. Um, we, like I said, we did come up with some numbers which we thought would be um, capacities that we would be able to, to manage. Um, for Ferry Point, we were looking to, at a capacity of about 200. And with that number, based on last year's numbers, during the week from, from here to about September 1st, we only topped out at about 150 at the most during that, that same time period. So Mother Nature helps us on that one because of the the flies that are down there, to be honest with you. It's what? The sheep, the sheep flies that are down oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is the time that they come out, and they're just just—they're really aggressive, so they manage that property well for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, we looked at Mattapique uh, based on the number of uh, parking spaces, and again, you know, um, 
linear footage of uh, of the beach and width-wise, you know, we're looking at about a maximum of 250 um, to to be down there. The last one, which is the um, probably the the trickiest. Steve, before yes. you move on, so you shared with us that, that on, a, on in a normal situation at Ferry Point, we were getting anywhere from 160, 160. right? So uh, Last so, year's numbers, this time last year. Okay, so last year's numbers, this time last year right. for Mattapee. What, what um, are you at there? So in other words, we're saying we're going to cut it out at 250, right. but... Mattapee, because it has been topping out about about one. I want to say about 150, 175. Uh-huh. Um, so in that we still have capacity to to accommodate more. Um, and again, we, I think what, what are we seeing this year at Mattapeak? Unfortunately, the the sensor for that counter right. is on the fritz right now, and I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to recover the data without losing it, and I'm sweating bullets because I'm afraid I'm going to end up losing all that that data. Um, but I think 250 is, is a you know is a good manageable number with that. Again, what we're also I think can be attributed to the, the change in the, um, the the numbers is as the counties begin to open up and more and more activities begin to take place, whether it's athletics or schools or vacations or you know what have you, it gives an opportunity for people to do other things. Three weeks ago, we were the only game in town. There was nothing else to do. Nothing else was open. So. Where do you go? You go to the one place that you know that you can, and it's free, and it's you know it's there. So, you know, I, I think we need to also be leery of, um, or, or I shouldn't say leery, but cognizant of you know that that change in activity, and you know as we begin to open up more, I think our numbers will take a natural uh, decline as well. Um, but again, just finishing on the numbers for Terrapin, again we you know did the whole mathematical equation and the. Uh, the figure we actually came up with was um, was a little bit over 700, but we think 700 is a manageable number, and that's people being on the beach, on the on the waterfront area itself, um, not counting any trails or anything. Not counting any trails, and that'll be uh, you know a, a call of the staff person that's down there to see whether you know you're riding a bike just to ride through the trails, or whether you're jogging through there, or whether right. you're going birding. That wouldn't count. But if you're going the- down, you know. I think if you got a towel and a fishing rod and things like that, you know, you're kind of going to be down there for for a little bit. Um, one other thing that I think is important, and this is a, I think a a good format to get out, is technically the county only has one legal beach that we have, and that's Mattapee Beach. That's the only sanctioned beach for Queen Anne's County. The other two sites, Ferry Point and Terrapin, they're actually nature preserves, and they they are they should not be utilized in a beach tight capacity where you're going down with a chair and a cooler and, you know, spending it like you're down at Ocean City or anything like that. So, again, you know, it's beginning to educate the public on what those facilities were, were built for and their intended use. And, you know, that's going to take, take some time. And, you know, not only is it a, a mental uh, block that we have to get through, but it's also to preserve that whole area. Um, you know, as if we continue to bring people down there and use it, um, not as it's intended, you know, we're going to damage everything that we that we planted, that we tried to save. Sure. You know that that we had money that was put towards you know for for building that. Right. So again, you know, this is information that you know that we're going to have to be responsible to to get out to the public and, that, and educate them. And that that sign out in front of Terrapin before you pull into the parking lot clearly states Terrapin Nature Preserve. Right. 
So it doesn't say beach. It says nature preserve. So I, I, I truly believe that that's, that's a tool in our toolbox to say, hey, folks, this is, this is getting way out of hand. This is, I mean, we're destroying the intent of, of this, of this right. preserve um, with the capacity of people that are coming here. And that's I, I personally, I think 700 is high I, I, for, the, for the beach. But. Well, for Terrapin, seven, a few weeks ago you said what, we had about 2,000 on Saturday, had, um, 1,700 on Sunday. We had 2,100 on Saturday, 17 on that, that following Sunday. This past Sunday, we only had 900. So we okay. dropped off significantly from, okay. from what we had. Weather prediction. Well, weather. But Sunday was beautiful. Sunday was a, was a good day, so I didn't even well, bother looking at Saturday because I knew that was, it was a, Saturday a wash. Rained, right? Yeah, Saturday was a wash. Okay. Well, I didn't realize there was that many people on those 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 couple of weekends where we were seeing some serious serious numbers. I didn't realize the beach actually had that many. So okay, seven hundred looks like a good number. Okay. Now, does that, uh, Steve, to, to that end, does that, uh, we don't have that parking available at the Terrapin parking lot, obviously, for 700. We don't have 700 spaces. So, no. I guess one of the other things that's come out of this is the parking that is being utilized right now is also becoming an issue with some people. Um, right. Because, I mean, I, I know uh, Commissioner Moran had gone down there, and there's some issues with even if emergency services had to get back through that parking lot to get down to the beach, mm-hmm. access was not there because of the way the cars were on Lord Canoe Circle. So is that something, if we went with this capacity, do we have a plan for how we would uh, maybe control that parking with uh, the business park? Or We have kind of talked internally of different ways that we could possibly manage it. Some of it is, um, you know, it, putting up no parking signs along certain parts of Log Canoe Circle. Um, the other part is, um, you know, we looked at the potential of, you know, metering them, um, making sure that, you know, some of that money that's derived there would go towards, you know, the management of not only, you know, the, the parking, but also the uh, cleaning of the, the facility. But also you can, uh, we have a capital project to build a ranger station and bathrooms in that facility. So that, that money could be, Derived from the parking from the users, and then it could go directly into assisting with the, the capital project. And I think is if people know what they're paying a fee for, that that whatever we'll just say five dollars for um, uh, for talking purposes is going towards something specific. I think it's an easier pill to swallow than just collecting five dollars. And you know, again, all of that is part of of the communication that's put out, so people understand what you're doing and where it's going to and how it's going to be utilized. So it's, it's, it's something that really has to be thought out and have all the steps ready to go at once. It can't be. I would feel leery about doing it piecemeal. I, I would want to make sure that we've got everything set and ready to go and, you know, and then in, you know, install it from there. So for the purposes of group discussion here, one thing Queen Anne's County has been very, really impressive at doing is keeping our community count of disease down. We're almost uniquely low. Correct. If we were to limit the beaches and our public areas like that to local only, we would be preventing a spread. It would also limit the number of people on the beaches without having to maintain a count. It would facilitate the fact that we don't have any way to sanitize the very limited bathroom and water facilities we have for the public. 
I'd like to discuss whether that wouldn't be a good solution or the best solution for this problem. It it has some some merit, but there are also some hurdles that we have to overcome because Terrapin was purchased with program open space money. It is to be open to all Maryland residents, um, so we would have a problem trying to limit that. If we did go with the um, county residents only, then there's going to be an enforcement issue. There's going to be potential conflict between people that are driving an hour, hour and a half, and we have a staff person that is... I take your point, but if you run a numbers game on it, you're going to be excluding county citizens, which are our citizens, in using their park, where this would not probably happen under local only. I think, and that's an enforcement issue there too. If if, if I if I live here and I'm going way. yeah, and I'm going to the park and I see there's all these cars and I see Virginia DC tags, you say I can't get in, yeah. and I live in the county, I'm going to be pretty upset. I mean that that becomes an enforcement issue. I think either way, there's an enforcement issue. I agree with that. That we have to yeah. deal with. Yep. And I I side with the county residents. So, so I, I think under the current climate, I mean, you talk about the current climate that we're in, and I know that there's other jurisdictions that are actually doing this, that, that Commissioner Corcorino and Commissioner um, Wilson were talking about. And, and, and I know that, you know, it's managed to maintain with program open space money, which is Maryland taxpayers' dollars, and that's always been a hurdle in controlling the number of people in the past that have come to use our beaches. I know Sandy Point State Park closes. They, they turn them away, but they hand them a map how to, how to get over to our beaches. So, um, but I think under the current COVID conditions, we are, as, as community leaders, are, are saying our goal is to protect our citizens and, and keep folks from other jurisdictions out of our parks. And, and maybe we get a pass for this summer, you know, from the state because this is the reasoning why we're going locals only is because we do have such great numbers as far as confirmed cases. We hit, we leveled out and plateaued a month ago. I mean, I, I, I just, I believe that if this is the direction we want to go, I don't think we get a lot of kickback and fight from the program open space component of it, at least for this summer. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's, that, for thought. there's that, there's the public health argument on that, which is, as we've seen from the state, an overriding argument that can change and control lots of things. I don't know why we can't avail ourselves of that for the sake of our citizens. You've raised a lot of great ideas of things that we can do with counts and controlling them. I think putting a lot of that into place is going to take time, and I think those are great ideas for next year. But I think during COVID, our immediacy is if we restrict the locals only, um, we are protecting our citizens on the public health front. We're addressing this spike in um, people and visitors are coming there. And it gives us time to put something else in place for next year. Maybe electronic reader boards on La Canoe Circle starting as soon as possible. Effective July 1st or July 3rd or whatever, uh, these, they, they, this facility or these facilities will be closed to outsiders and and. You've got to be a local Queen Anne's County resident to be able to use them. I mean, you certainly don't want people to drive an hour and a half, like you mentioned, from Virginia or D.C., only to get turned away. Um, but that's an, that's an inherent risk people take when they go to Sandy Point State Park. You know, they, I mean, you've seen the lines of people on that exit on 50. 
you know, to try to get off to get there only to be turned around. I promise they have a plan B that if they don't make it in time to Sandy Point, where they're going to go. And I think what we do is we're creating, by doing this, we're, we're creating um, a habit forming for these folks that, that say, well, we can't go over there. Uh, we have to go to plan B, whatever plan B is. But I just think that that we, we te- need there's a safety component too. I mean, we again we've got great numbers. We want to maintain those numbers. We don't want to have spikes. We're opening. We just we just lifted the the, um, the state of emergency. The state of emergency gave control back to our commission president and his board. So I think we could make a very good argument that if we get the information and disseminate it out there as soon as possible, I think the first week of July we could close our beaches to locals only. So, so oh. Go ahead, Jack. All right. So I have two questions for you. Um, A is we're talking about doing this July 1st, and I'm going to let you answer them both separately, but I'm going to give them both to you now. Um, do we have the staffing to do this July 1st right now? That's my first question. The second question is to the point of we're closing down these couple beaches here. We, we, we are a waterfront county. We have plenty of beach line here in the county. Those people that drive an hour and a half, to your point, Commissioner, uh, Dumino is those people will find probably other beaches here in the county to go to. So are we just moving a problem from A to B possibly um, with that being said? I know the wharf down here in Centerville was extremely packed. Um, so, you know, is are we packed just... Packed with who? Packed with... Well, there's a lot of New York license oh, okay. plates down so, But, so but again, to- are we just going to create another problem somewhere else in our, on our beaches in the county? Um, conquest, who knows? As I'm just saying, I'm playing devil's advocate with this. And, again, the staffing to me, are we going to be ready to enforce this July 1st? We will, you know, we'll do what we have to, even if we have to bring in full-time staff in order to, uh, to accommodate until we get part-time staff um, hired. Um, we don't have, so we don't we don't have, we don't have part time staff in place. We we don't have what? We don't have part time staff in place now. Correct. Correct. So that's I mean this this is this is a, a larger problem than what we're talking about uh, this evening, and and we know that, and uh, we've had meetings about this. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a motion first, and and then I want to talk about some of these other things. I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation. Uh, to allow only Queen Anne's County residents admittance to Mattapique Beach, Ferry Point, and Terrapin Nature Preserve participants effective July 1, 2020. This shall only be effective only while we are in recovery phase of COVID-19. That's the motion. Can I get a second? Can I, second. Can I so ask that you this, to amend that? Because of, well, we're, because we have restrictions on Roman Cope in terms of capacity there. Is, which, shouldn't we include the fishing pier? Because that actually has area where people will go swim there too or it's, that's a no swimming area actually that's supposed to be swimming. they're not supposed yeah, but, to be swimming. But, chased uh, them should out we there. keep should we have roma coke in there from a capacity standpoint because again if somebody comes well, from fishing, that, you can't get in there they're just okay, okay so let's let me do this we're not going to mix the fishing piers with the nature trails and the beaches so we can do okay. something separate on that but the reason I want to discuss this is because the way the motion is written, I want the public to understand, uh, the citizens of Queen Anne's County, that we did have a conversation with Dr. Ciatola. And Dr. Ciatola is, is the one who recommended that these sites allow admittance, admittance, admittance only to Queen Anne's County residents because of what potential risk that we may be bringing in from cities on the other side of the bridge that could be carrying COVID. Because it was like walking over 
bodies when we were out there. So in, we yeah, know July 4th weekend is not getting right. You know. So so the, the bigger portion of this is in, in five years ago, we had a beach permit that we started and it was in its infant stages and we were working through the growing pains of that. And I don't know if that's something we need to bring back, but I want the public, you know, we'd like to hear from the public. Uh, you know, we, we have, and as, you, as we all know, seen up to 2,000 people at Terrapin. And it's, it, it just overwhelms the entire system. When, when we only have no more than two, possibly three rangers, and we have 90% of our weekend visitors coming from out of county, it's a problem. It's, it's, it's taxing our staff. It's taxing our, our resources. And, you know, we need to recapture that. So, you know, we've had discussions about metered parking. We've had discussions about uh, with KRM using that uh, empty field next to Terrapin and have parking only in there, no parking anywhere on, on log canoe, and then charging a fee for that and charging a fee to enter our parks. Uh, it's, it's something that we need to, as, as, as a commission, and as, as parks, have these serious discussions, because, Jack, you're absolutely right. There's unintended consequences, and, and Steve, you said that m numerous times. When you restrict something, it goes somewhere else. And, and that's the problem that maybe we're going to restrict it now, because in the short run, this is really what we can do. And, Todd, we, we will need message boards as soon as possible and see if the state will allow us to put them out on Route 50 also, catching that bridge traffic to say, look at, you know, effective immediately, Queen Anne's County's parks and, and beaches are closed to Queen Anne's County residents only. And that leads me into what's going to happen that July, that July 1 is fireworks night. So, you know, we, we could very well have an influx when we're the only county. I, I can't think of anywhere else that's actually having fireworks. Easton and Rock Hall are still probably having their No, they, Rock Hall and Easton have both pushed them to the fall. I know that for I just fact. saw something from Easton the other day that they said they were still. Well, okay. be that as it may, so, so I, 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 we need to get the sheriff involved here. And I hate to say that, but I, I, we can't have staff standing there going, sorry, you can't come in. We need a, we need a deputy there. And if it's going to cost us some money, you know, it's, it's better to be safe and, and, and get this started on the right foot. The initial and, message, right. Correct. Yeah. Part-time over the July 4th weekend and during those busy times. So, you know, and, and that's something we can, we can have discussions about. But, again, this isn't the, the, the final fix-all. This is just... This is interim. Uh, this, right? That's exactly right. And, and this and is really the weekends when we're going to be in Exactly. This, this isn't Monday through Friday. This is Saturday and Sunday right now. And we may have to take into Friday if most people start taking off Fridays and inundating our facilities again. So, you know, this is, I mean, we, we want the visitors, but right now we can't control what's going on on our beaches. I mean, it's, that one ranger, I felt so bad for him when there was 400 cars out there and probably 1,500 people, and they're all walking in with coolers and, like you said, chairs and everything else. So we do have a messaging issue at Terrapin that we need to, you know, tell people this is not for swimming and fishing. No swimming, no fishing, and, and, you know, so we need teeth there. So, and, you know, and, you know it, we, we had a discussion earlier. It all comes down to funding. You know, if we have a funding source, if we're charging for parking, if we're charging per head for people to come in there, we have a funding source so that, like you said, we can build these bathrooms, we can build the ranger stations, we can have more rangers, we can keep the facility clean. I mean, that's what we all want. We want a safe environment, a clean environment, so, you know, something that we, the, the citizens of Queen Anne's County can take pride in our parks, because I think we have some of the nicest parks on our Cross Island Trail. I mean, it's, it's just inundated right now. 
So it's a great place to come and visit, but we got to have find a way for them to come and visit and put a little something into the till. So, I mean, that's that's why they little tip jar. Yeah. The point also comes up is, are we going to have somebody saying, "Do you, does your license read Queen Anne's County? How do we handle this at the gate?" That's what I'm saying, deputies. We're going to have to get some sort of part time, you know, part time and or some okay. deputy station there. You know, because we we haven't even gotten to, and it'll come in roundtable the discussion of traffic again. But you know, this is it, it's it's if something. If we needed to get private security, would that be part of our parcel? If we needed it, if we, I, I would say yes. I, I, I I'm more inclined to yeah, pay agree. our I, I sheriff's with, office. I agree with you. you know, I just don't want to overrun the system. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's something we need i mean even though we're making a motion and and trying to enact this if if it if it can't be done it can't be done but we're going to try and get move forward on that yeah we definitely need to craft announcements for the newspapers for annapolis our papers whatever we need to do to get the word out so that we don't have a big scene here at the gate and and and, and perhaps um, reaching out to the the tourism offices and um, in D.C. or Virginia who, who could disseminate the message out that, you know, the Queen Anne's County, uh, uh, maybe that's a stretch asking them to, to let their citizens know that don't make the trip here an hour and a half to come here because you're just going to get turned around and, and, and not allowed to come in. I, I, again, and we're not. It, it, maybe it happens to them one time, and they learn that they can't come to. Well, just, just also so the public understands, we're not the only county that's doing this. Talbot and Kent County are both doing the same thing. Uh, so it, it's not like we are reinventing the wheel. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at other counties and organizations and how they're handling some of this influx of massive amounts of, of uh, beachgoers. And I don't know what's going on. They don't want to go to Ocean City. It's, like you said, Sandy Point closes. They direct them over here. I can only imagine what's going to happen at Kentmore. Mm-hmm. At, at their beach, uh, so you know, it, we're, we're all facing this, and we're all struggling on a better way to to do this. And you know, again, you know, I, to me, all right, if, if if these are the kind of crowds we're going to have, we have to build for those crowds. We have to put the parking lots in. We have to charge. We have to put bathrooms in. You know, more more trash, more rangers, and that all costs money. And it shouldn't be that burden should not be borne by the citizens of Queen Anne's County when ninety percent of them are from out of county. So. And that's why I say, I mean, we, we've had a lot of meetings with Parks and Recs. You guys are coming up with lots of ideas and brainstorming ways to, to make this work. I want to make sure the public understands that. I mean, you guys have put a lot of, not just what we hear tonight, but a lot of different options have been discussed and on the table. And I, I appreciate all the thought process going into it. And I know it's a working process, so things aren't going to be perfect right away. It's going to take some time. <laughs> but I want it perfect by next year. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's we have we have a <laughs> so does anybody else have any further dis- uh, comments or discussion? Did you did you, did you say you wanted it? I'm, his motion I'm just not. A little bit well, no, I'm just not good with the motion. I just I don't I, I just don't see this. I don't, I don't feel good about it. So I okay. personally, I, I mean, I just I think there's unintended consequences that right. um, we don't see right now, and and I would much rather see us monitor the if we're down, you're down almost almost half half. You're down 50 percent in one week. I mean, I would not want to put this and institute it for any long period of time if it continues to drop off. And then our 
uh, tourism suffers because we've shut them down and then we have nobody coming. I mean, that's that's, well, that's I, my point. But that's a, that's a good point. So we should monitor it. But, but that's a very good point. So maybe what we need to do is have someone from tourism there, and they can start asking people, are, are do you uh, coming in and out? Are, do you plan to visit any of our restaurants or any of our gas stations or anything? Just see it. I, 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 that's my opinion. I mean, because I, I understand the tourism portion of it, but when you walk those beaches and you walk those facilities, everybody is coming packing. They're cooking their own They're food. They're set up for the day. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it, this, this is, is not, not. This is not tourism. No, this, this is, you know. And, they, got, they got tents to sleep. It's right. Like, right. To get this, and that, but I understand that. And that's why, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go to other tourists or tourism and ask them to tell people that. No, because that's, that's not the message we want. But during COVID, for the rest of this year, I think this is something we'll put into place, try to put into place, do our best. Right. and come up with a solution for next spring. But I take your point, Jack. I mean, we yeah. do want to be yeah. hospitable to the tourist industry. Right. That, that makes sense. Right. I, mean, I, I get that. I think that, you know, hopefully this weekend would be another good indication so you have two weekends back-to-back to see mm-hmm. if the numbers begin to, to drop down again. Plus the weather's, per- if, the weather's you know, supposed to be decent. Obviously, the 4th of July weekend is going to be an anomaly. You've got to just scratch that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but this weekend coming be up, a good it could be a good indication of where the numbers are going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to your point, you know, at least we'd have two weekends back to back and kind of, you know, kind of get a, a better barometer of where we are and then hoping that maybe that's the, that's the trend. And then, you know, we can modify this to, you know, still take care of Queen Anne's County residents, still meet the need of POS requirements that, that, that we have before us. And then continue to have a, um, you know, a future plan mm-hmm. um, that will be, you know, more beneficial to the county and parks and recreation as a whole. Okay. I, I mean, I can't help it, but you've got a beach, Mattapeak, or even at Terrapin, where you've got hundreds and hundreds of people using one bathroom, everyone grabbing the same handle, and no possibility of sanitation. And this isn't a health issue. And We've got a very low count in this county, and the reason we have it is because we've spent our, you know, energies and given up our business to keep that, and we ought to keep it. Okay. So we are moving. Uh, uh, the motion is made to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to allow only Queen Anne's County residents admittance admittance to Mattapique Beach, Ferry Point, and Terrapin Nature Preserve, effective July 1, 2020. This shall only be effective while we are in the recovery phase of COVID-19, which will expire by the, uh, by the end of December of this year, because we're, this is funded strictly through CARES funding. So that's, that's the intent of this. So Second. Well, we already had the motion in the second. I oh, we just, did. I was just rereading this. So, Seconded. Yeah. Uh, I think I did. Yeah, Chris did. Okay. Uh, is there any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? One. There you go. Thank you. Good luck. All right, gentlemen, while you're still here, we... We'll be there. Don't worry. We'll, I'm, I'm we wanted to there. readdress to the board as well. I think there's one additional uh, park ranger uh, vacancy we wanted to try to backfill. Is that Actually, correct? We have, um, we've been carrying one since um, about March, and then we just found out that uh, I have another staff ranger leaving at um, the end of the month this year. So in, in a perfect world and, a, and no COVID-19, how many rangers, full-time and part-time, would we have on the street we would have the three full-time rangers that we are approved for mm-hmm. and probably i would say at least six part-time rangers and what do we have right now 
Today we have two full-time rangers and four or part-time. Four part-time rangers. Okay. So, and you're getting ready to lose another ranger? Another full-time ranger. So you'll lose another full-time ranger. Okay. So what, So we need to vote to allow you to hire the one that you're already missing. I'm missing two. You, well, you're going to be missing two. Right. Right. Okay. So you want that to be to fill both those ranger positions? Off the same advertisement if possible. Okay. Okay. So, make a motion? Yeah. I move that we uh, authorize the hire of both ranger replacement and a new hire or whatever that is. Two replacements. Yep. yep. I'll second. second. Uh, so I'll second that. Any discussion on this? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Now, what about the part-time issue? The part-time issue, we still have uh, part-time money budgeted for that. Okay. Um, it's just a matter of filling it. It's just a matter okay. of, of, of filling it. Usually from the full-time, when we run the full-time, if we have someone that's also a good candidate, but we don't have another full-time, we can offer part-time. A lot of times without, we try to fill them. Right. That way they get all the same questions and same type. You know, maybe if we get some sheriff deputies that are, you know, looking for some part-time work. I don't know. I think that I the, mean, I'd like to see look at those going to be a little different. If you could just reach out with Todd's help with, and look at private security, what it would take to, uh, in, in when we have the peak times and we know they're coming, like Fourth of July weekend, what it would cost to subsidize the Rangers to make sure we take care of uh, the enforcement. Because, look, I've talked to a lot of people, and one thing they said is we have rules in place, but we don't have the people to enforce them. So you can make more rules, but if you can't enforce the new rules, then it really doesn't matter. Right. So, I mean, I think it's important that we show that we're willing to enforce what we've just voted on here anyway um, to make sure it works. And the other thing is, um, we talked about it at Pratt meeting, I just want to let, because I know a couple of commissioners weren't there, is to look into getting a price for the cameras at the... Uh, we have not had the opportunity to do that yeah, quite yet. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, just as a reminder. Where? Get the cameras at the Roman Coke Pier to Mattapique so we ca so we have some yeah. we can see things at the yeah. beaches. We have the ability, the technology is there, but I think it's something we should concentrate yeah. on doing. And that's also we can alert the sheriff's deputies if somebody's there yeah. after hours and we can they can also verify things. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. gentlemen. Yeah. All right, commissioners, that concludes all of our action items this evening. If you want to go to, we have uh, one presentation this evening. Um, if you want to turn to tab number six, we have uh, Donna Landis-Smith, soil conservation aide, and she's going to talk to us about the Maryland Agricultural Land Preservation Foundation program. So, Don, if you want to come on up, welcome. She has a PowerPoint here for you. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Sorry. <laughs> George just hit the uh, right and left buttons. Okay, thank you. I'm here tonight to talk about uh, the Maryland Ag Land Preservation MAF program. Um, MAF program was, was created in 1977 through the Maryland Department of Agriculture to permanently preserve prime agricultural soils and productive forest land. The Maryland MAF program is one of the most successful programs in the country. All 23 counties within Maryland 
participate in the MAF program. Since its inception, there has been 318,216 acres preserved in Maryland with a total cost of $752,623,198. That's as of the 2019 annual report that's online that could be uh, viewed. Queen Anne's County has preserved over 30,000 acres of farmland utilizing MAF, the MAF program. 54 $54,009,683 has been invested in preserving the county's number one industry, according to the 2019 MAF report. That does not include the $6 million that we've received in the last couple of years, so we should be a little over $60 million since uh, we've had the first farm uh, so we're preserved. We're almost 10% of the total, huh? Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I said we're second on the list now. Carroll County is the only county that's ahead of us as far as preserved acres. There continues to be a long list of interest in landowners willing to enroll their properties in the MAF program. With limited funding, the properties are ranked and scored according to the LISA scoring system, which is the (laughs) land evaluation site assessment evaluation system. The scoring is reviewed and approved by the local advisory board consisting of five appointed citizens by the county commissioners. Questions pertaining to the lease's scoring will be reviewed in order to give a clear understanding of why properties are eligible to submit an application to the state of Maryland and some are not. So I decided to put a little PowerPoint uh, presentation together for your view, and we can put this on the county website. We expressed, you all had expressed an interest in doing that so citizens can take a look at how the, the scoring process works. And I've taken some of the state's criteria and just basically copy and pasted it along with the county's portion of the lease scoring system. So Maryland Ag Land Preservation Foundation, um, I am the program administrator and have been since 2005. I work in the Queen Anne's County Soil Conservation Office, and they, uh, the producers can come into my office or call the telephone number on the PowerPoint. Got to go back. That way. Or it's not working. It's not clicking? Nope. I can run it for you. Okay. Thank you. I mean, I can run. Okay, all right. I guess we're too far away. Yeah, next slide, please. Okay, as far as the easement, when the state of Maryland purchases an agriculture preservation easement on your property, you are, in essence, selling your development rights to the state of Maryland. You voluntarily sell those rights in perpetuity, which means forever, to develop your farm for residential, commercial, or industrial use. This means that for whatever compensation mutually agreed upon by you and the Maryland Ag Land Preservation Foundation, you will preserve the land for agricultural and civil cultural use without exception now and in the future. Now, has that ever been challenged? Yes, it has. There was one case in Baltimore County. Because the original easements, there was a 25-year clause in those easements that said if, if agriculture is proven to be not a viable use, high and best use on the property, that you could request it be removed from the easement to be turned into something else. Um, It was denied. There's only been one case that's gone to court to be um, removed from the easement, and it was denied. I mean, because we've had in the past, uh, you know, I've I've had people say to me, you know, why are we spending money on mouth? Because you can't develop any of these farms because of the tier system and and, and the, uh, the septic bill. 
basically from the state. Uh, you know, uh, they don't want any on-sites and no more than seven lot subdivisions maximum. But what I say is laws can always be changed. Yes, I that's mean, correct. I mean, a different set of uh, individuals come into office and they decide, okay, well, that's gone. You can go back to septic systems or you can go back to these small cluster systems, whatever. This easement just basically says you're done. It, that's it, correct. It's going to stay a farm forever. Regardless, the, of, regardless of what your community leaders end up doing. Right. Yes. The 25-year year clause was taken out probably about 20 years ago, um, and that is no longer in the easement option. So they are in perpetuity. There's no appeal. There's no buying back. There's no getting out. The only exception would be if the, the state came in and said they were going to put a highway in and they may do an eminent domain for the access for the highway. That's I've seen that once. In utilities, but that would just be that's an easement. That's correct. Right. Yes, okay. that's correct. Except for the exception of commercial solar. Now, can these easements be used, you're a farm solar, or no? No. Commercial solar is not permitted on uh, mouth okay. easement property. Okay. Any commercial use is not permitted other than the commercial use, which is agriculture. Okay. Yes. Very good. So as far as, next slide, please, George. The interest, um, you can call the Queen Anne's County Soil Conservation Office, as I had mentioned earlier. You can visit the office at um, the uh, uh, listed address. I do have the door locked now. I am there. They can make an appointment, um, or we can have a conversation over the telephone. We're still closed because we are a USDA office, and you, we have to file the USDA guidelines. Um, eligibility. The eligibility on a property, it has to be agriculturally zoned. And it must be a minimum of 50 acres and must contain a minimum of 50% of qualifying soils. The tillable land has to have class one, class two, and class three soils that are eligible. Woodland is group one and group two soils that are eligible. I, bought, I brought with me an additional um, sheet for you to look at that will give you the name of the soils and what soil classification they are. And we basically take a soils map and lay it over top of an aerial map, and that tells me what types of soils are on the property. Is, is class one better than class four, or is class four better yes, than one? Yes, class one is your highest and best class okay. soils. Okay. Um, it's, we've had cases in the past where the property may not be as large. For example, if it's 100 acres and it has 75% class one soils and the remainder is class two and class three, and if you have a 400-acre farm that's all class three soils, the 100-acre farm will rank higher because of the soil types. And, and ranking is, is and that's exactly how you, you determine who gets an offer, is by the rankings of the soil. That's half of it. Right. That's half of that, and we'll, we'll touch on that in just a second. Mm -hmm. now, I get, real quick, getting back to Jim's, one of Jim's original questions regarding solar. Yes. What, what about sand and gravel operations? That is not permitted. Mining, it's a commercial use. Okay. No. All right. Nope. Very good. Okay. Productivity. Applications are accepted on the land that is either currently being used for producing food or fiber or has the capability to do so. Woodland management and harvesting operations are eligible and indeed encouraged to participate in the program. Irrespective of the land use, a key eligibility criterion is, is the productivity of the soil as measured by the USDA Soil Conservation Service land classification system. For the property to qualify, this is right off of the MAUF state website, to participate in the program, at least 50% of the land shall class, classify as class one, class two, or class three soils. Or, if the land is wooded, 50% of the land is classified as woodland group one or two soils. Or, if the reason the land cannot meet the above conditions is because of floodplain or wetland soils, 
those areas could be excluded as a percentage of the land, or if there is an insufficient percentage of class one, class two, or class three soils alone, and there is an insufficient percentage of woodland groups one and two soils alone, the land would qualify if the combined of the two exceeded 60% or land with lower soil capabilities may qualify to be. In the applicant sub submits to the foundation a letter from the appropriate U.S. Department of Agriculture District Conservation that states that the soils on the applicant's farm have a cropland or pasture rating similar to class one, two, and three, or woodland group and one and two. That has not happened in Queen Anne's County. We do not have a problem with properties qualifying with soil classifications. It's an issue mostly on the far western shore of Maryland when you get into the mountains and the rocks and the trees. It tends to be a challenge over there. And there, and some of the counties that have a tremendous amount of wetlands, um, not to pick on Dorchester County, but Dorchester County would be a good example. We, I've never had a farm not qualify as far as qualifying soils and woodland. And typically, you just get it on the soils. You don't even need the woodland. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Any questions so far? Very good. Next slide, please, George. The location. Land that lies within the boundaries of a 10-year water and sewer service area plan is generally not eligible for the program unless it has extraordinary productive capability and is of significant size. For example, the property that's within Centerville, that's a farm, that still is a farm, that would not be eligible because it is within a 10-year water and sewer. What about um, some of the farms down Route 8 now that the sewer's been extended down there? Would they qualify? No, that, that was, that, that, those are strictly uh, where they're going now is the only place they can go. So those farms can never get that sewer. Correct, Todd? We're talking about the South, Southern you, Canal sewer? You say never, but I mean... Well, that's true. Right. Yeah. I mean, being that there's sewer there, that would be cons probably 10 year, consider 10 year maybe? Or, it, I mean, I'm just curious because we have, there's some decent sized farms down there. Yes. There, and there are farms down there that are preserved. Okay. They're still eligible. They're not within a town limits. They're, it's, this is considered more like Queenstown or. So incorporated towns. Yes. Incorporated okay. towns. Right. Yes. Okay. That's okay. correct. All right. Conservation and management plans. First, you must have a soil conservation and water quality plan for the property, which has been approved by the local soil conservation district has been made or revised within the last 10 years, list all soil conservation and water quality practices needed to correct existing problems on the property, and contains a schedule of implementation which indicates when the soil conservation and water quality practices will be installed. What that means is that if there's a serious erosion problem or they have some other issues out there, that has to be taken care of. We want prime productive soils. So we are cognizant of the fact that um, if there's some erosion problems, they need to be addressed prior to um, the easement putting place on the farm. Second, if you have more than 25 acres of contiguous forest land, you must have secured a forest stewardship plan demonstrating proper forest management techniques on the forested acreage before closing of the easement. So they can do timber harvesting. They can do select cuts. They cannot do a clear cut. Um, unless it's extenuating circumstances, if they were having, you know, the, years ago it was the, what was it, the moth that was taken out, I forget what it was called, that was taken out, the, uh, you know, they may do a clear cut to el eradicate that problem, but they would have to replant. So there is no clear cutting unless it's extenuating circumstances. So what about when they do like a clear cut from, because I, I know over by me that it's happened a couple different farms there, when they go to do irrigation and they'll put in, you know, 
part of this, I guess, probably part of soil conservation to some extent, but. Yeah, we would have to make a recommendation on that. And if you clear forest land to bring into um, active agricultural producing land, you have to go through USDA and the Farm Service Agency to do a wetlands determination because of the 1985 sodbuster swamp buster rule. There are um, there are soils that cannot be cleared because of the um, hydric soils, wetlands that are in there. So there are, there are some limitations okay. on that. Okay, next slide. So our local criteria. This is what our local Ag Advisory Board has listed as part of the criteria. The criteria listed above are the minimum eligibility standards. That's on the previous slide set by the state. The program is administered by each county in the state and in an equitable partnership. The county may impose criteria which could be in addition to or more stringent than the state criteria. For example, the county may also require you to agree to a maximum per acre offer price as a condition for the county approval to sell your easement to the foundation. The state has imposed a 75% cap of the appraised value. They will not pay more than 75% of whatever the appraisal is. That is the state cap. I will talk about what the county has um, involved in their scoring. We also take discounted value into um, the scoring process. Okay, so as far as the lease is scoring, the lease is scoring, the LE part of it is the land evaluation. That's your qualifying soils. That's 50% of your total score. So as far as that, um, that, is, that is the biggest weight, quality of soils and quality of woodland. The LE, acreage of soil types. Property must have a minimum of 50% of qualifying soils of the total acreage. The tillable land must have class one, class two, and class three soils, and forest land group one and group two are eligible soils according to the soil survey of Queen Anne's County, uh, the source is U.S. Department of Agriculture. Each class of soils is assessed by a capability yield of dry land corn production over a 10-year period by multiplying the specific soil acreage times an assigned yield arrives at a score. And I will give you these um, so you can review these pertaining to what I'm talking about. Woodland is assigned a score according to the group classification, which is multiplied by the woodland acreage. Both scores are added together, then divided by the total acreage to complete the LE portion of the scoring. So basically, class one soils. If the soil map or the soils book says over a 10-year period of dry land corn, that soil will produce 150 bushels to the acre. You take whatever amount of acres you've got times that 150 bushels, and that gives you a point, the amount of points. If it's a class two soils and it says that it produces 100 bushels of corn over a 10-year average, whatever amount of acres you've got in class two soils, you multiply that times that factor. And that's on the sheet that I just gave you. Next slide. This is the example of a property where I have laid over the soil type, over the, over the, um, the soils. The yellow is the tillable land, the green, green is the woodland. And you can see the soil types. They're listed there, CA, which is Carmichael, HR, which is Herlock, um, IGA is Ingleside um, A and Ingleside B and Ingleside C. OT is Othello, that's a little bit wetter, PIA is Piney Neck. Um, U, gosh, I'm looking too far away. USA is Unicorn Sassafras, and W is uh, White Marsh. 
So there's different classifications and different soil types. On this particular property, um, if my memory serves me correctly, it's like 150 acres, give or take. Um, you can see there's quite a bit of different types of soils there. How, so, how did they know what soils are there? The, so, the USD, USDA hired, hired a geological service back in the 40s, and they actually went out and did sand, soil borings. So they would bore down into the soils, take that soil type, and you know, walk that field. They manually were done. They were walked, and they drew those lines. So that's, that's been the case for since, in the, I, I believe it was 1942, if my, my memory serves me correctly. You're, 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 do, you're hand augering these yes. soils, because I guess they're only concerned with the top two to three feet. Yes. But, I mean, I'm just, the contour lines, is out, I, I'm wondering how they come up with the contour lines. I mean, are you saying a hundred? Walked it back in World yeah. War II. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Amazing. they updated the soil names, uh-huh. which was a nightmare, in the, um, I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s. These names are all new. They used to be sassafras and, you know, but that's not the case any longer. So that's, that's one of the first steps. Then right there is your 50% of your scoring is those soil types. And that when they multiply it out on that, um, the Excel spreadsheet that you got, that comes up with a point system for the land part of it. Next slide, please. So this is continued. The site assessment is the second portion of it, and this is 50% of the total scoring, and these are other attributes on the property. Um, A few of the attributes on the farm that we look at, and this is some of the stuff that our local ag board came up with that they feel like is important. The farm size, on-site production, stewardship and conservation of natural resources, if it's a family farm, if it's a multiple parcel owner, they have a current soil and water quality soil conservation plan, they have a current nutrient management plan. The preservation area, this is an area when you take the subject property and you do a two mile radius around that subject property and I take a look at how many farms are in land preservation, how many are in deed restricted open space, how many are in non-contiguous development, how many have transfer development rights, and I take that total of those properties in that two-mile radius, and then I add up how many acres are in preservation, how many are in um, uh, restrictive zoning and other programs, and come up with a score on that. And then you look at the properties that are directly adjacent to the subject property. If in in one instance we had a property that is adjacent to the property on 300 that DNR just put the easement on, they called it Ben Lee Farm or Jack Farms. He is the last farm within a 4,000 acre radius that's not preserved. He's a donut hole. Mm. When that went in, he's the last one that's that's there. So that's, that was a very big plus for him when DNR put that in because he's, he's completely surrounded by preserved lands. So then we also take into consideration the historic value. If you have a historic house and it's registered with the Maryland Historic Properties, you get points for that. Scenic value if it's on a scenic byway like Route 18, 301, 50, um, you get points for that because it um, adds to the scenic view shed of those of those roads. And if you have a house on there and it's a well-maintained farmstead and it brings um, scenic view, that's you get points for that. 
We also look at development pressure, same thing. I take the subject property and go two miles around it, and if there's development pressure, which has been very limited in the last probably almost 10 years, um, you get points for that. If you have direct road access, if it's a property that's landlocked, it doesn't score as well. They have the option to withhold acreage if they wanted to say, well, I want to leave out 10 acres for my grandchildren for future development for them to be able to live on the farm. We take points away for that. If it's a century farm and it's been designated as that, they get points for that. And if you have any best management practices, such as waterways, gabion baskets, HUA pads, um, composters, um, uh, a sediment pond, you know, anything that they would be considered a benefit to the property itself as a best management practice, they get points for that. And if they have been on the list for a long time and they reapply from year to year, they get bonus points for that. So that's the other 50% of the scoring. Okay, next slide. This particular property, um, I just wanted to highlight this one. This is, you know, you can see on there that has ditches and woods. It's got a pond. The property due north of that is in preservation. The property due west of that is in preservation. And the property um, northeast of that is also in preservation. So, so, he's, so obviously you get, you get points for... The surrounding properties that are already in preservation. As yes, well. yes. With your neighbors being in, that helps your property. Yes, because the state likes large contiguous blocks of preserved land. They don't like islands just kind of sitting out there so that it's peppered all over the countryside. Okay, next slide, please. This is the actual Lisa scoring sheet that I use on every particular property, and they are reviewed every year. Because if, if we scored it at one time two years ago and then adjacent property is enrolled, then their scoring, particular scoring will go up. The land evaluation does not change. Soils don't change. That is a static number. You know, the only thing that would change in the site assessment portion of it would be the adjacency to other properties or if you have a century farm designation or if you do some best management practices, it could increase your scoring. So century farm designation. Yes. What does that mean? That means that it's been in your family for more than 100 years. Okay. Okay. Okay, so the, the next few slides, if you wouldn't mind going through, George. The next one is, for the example of the farm size, the median-sized farm for Queen Anne's County is 85 acres. If I have a property that's 150 acres, I divide those numbers out and see where it falls in that percentage. So if you have a farm that's rated, let's say, 50 acres or 60 acres, you can see that it's going to be less than 70% of the median-sized farm in the county, so they only get one point. If you have a property that's 200 acres, of course, that's going to be greater than 150% of the median-sized farm in the county, so they get five points. So farm size does play into it in the scoring. <laughs> Second part, portion of it, on-site production, that means that the whole farm is being tilled, it's in pasture, it could be in poultry, it could be a dairy farm, but it can't lay fallow. If it's lay, laying fallow, then that's not considered as on-site production. And for us non-farmers, what does that mean? That would be if you just let it grow up in grass or just, you know, weeds or whatever. Okay. Um, the stewardship conservation... You didn't know what that meant, Ty. Don't, don't, yeah. don't shake your head. Yeah. Go on. Um, F3 is the stewardship part of it about keeping your nutrient management plan and your soil and water conservation plan up to date. <laughs> and then the farm ownership... Um, if it's a family farm, it's kind of a win-win situation, basically. We, wanted, we didn't want to take away points 
on someone that doesn't live on a farm. You can't live on more than one farm, but if you're a multiple property owner, we want to give you bonus points for that. If you're a first-time farm buyer, there's bonuses for that. So that's part of the, um, the site assessment. Do you, real quick, to that sure. end, um, so the farm goes down through the family and eventually it just does get sold out. Are, are you fine, or have you had any cases of that, number one? And number two, do, do you find that the value is less because some of the development rights may have been taken away and somebody who's coming in and may be looking for that? Do, do you, I mean, is the farm holding that original value if it's, it was sold? It's very close. Farms that are not in land preservation and farms that are in land preservation have a very narrow margin of value because the properties that are in land preservation that are being sold are being bought for to farm. So there is a value there. I'm finding that the trend is probably less than $1,000 per acre difference between farms that are encumbered and farms that are not encumbered. Hmm. Okay. Okay, second part of it is prior to preservation area study. This is what I was explaining to you about the surrounding two-mile radius around the particular property. So if you look at that, I'll take the total acres right under the P1, which is I'll add up all those parcels in that two-mile radius, and it averages about 4,000 to 5,000 acres, usually a two-mile radius around a property. And then I look at the total acreage of easements and the total acreage of protective zoning, and they get... Um, more points if it's easements around them and less points if it's protective zoning, but they do get credit for the protective zoning, which would be your deed restricted open space, TDRs being sold off of the property. Okay. If it was a private, if it was an MET easement, you know, that that's would play into that. And then um, the second part is if you have a portion of the farms around you preserved, all adjoining farms, so that points is uh, assigned for that. And then the boundary and buffer properties are the properties that directly touch the subject property. And then the historic values, um, if it's a well-maintained um, farmstead, contains a national register of historic places, property along um, the scenic view sheds, the scenic corridors, so that's those points are assigned according to that. So you can get... Oh, okay. So you can get a maximum of eight points there. Yes. It's not you get this because you got yes. that. But you can, okay. Yes, right, that's nice. correct. Okay. Next slide, please, George. Uh, the last thing that the local ag board has taken into consideration is your road access. Um, if you have adequate road access or if you have a right-of-way, the points are assigned according to that. Um, if you have withheld acreage, um, you... If you have no withheld acreage, you get an additional two points to... Um, if they if they help withhold acreage, they don't get the two points. And then we looked at the projected development pressure, and we look at um, 5%, 10%. So we look take that into consideration as well. And then some of the other specific county considerations, they get bonus points for reapplication, century farm, and applied best management practices. So then I total up all of those points and all of those things. And it I literally can do like two farms a day. It takes a really long time to do this because when you're adding up acres and looking at parcels and you got to measure it out, it's it's a intense to put it mildly. So, so and actually get gets to my question that came up. So do you have a team that 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 does this with you, or is this? I do it initially. Okay. Then I have a second party review. Then it goes in front of my local ag board and they review them as well. Okay. Before it comes to you all. Okay. So there's a lot of eyes on these scoring papers. And I, ha I sign it the date that I review it. I have my second party review it, and they date it and sign it as well. 
So. And how's your closure rate? Pretty good. My closure rate? Well, I mean, you talk about. I mean, there's been errors. Time you hand yes. it over to that next step. Yeah. I mean, I've I've had errors, and they and you know that's why okay. I always have second party review because, you know, we're only as good as we are. Okay. We're human. <laughs> I keep telling Jim that. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next page, the attachment A. This is um, the step one after the ELISA scoring is completed, and I used you all as owning farms. So um, Jim's, of course, he's the president, so he was ranked number one on his property, according to the ELISA scoring. And Jack was number two on his property, and Phil was number three, Chris was number four, Mr. Wilson was number five, Margie was six. Um, I thought my grandson was going to be here. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> oh, there he is. Hey, Mike, you got a farm too. <laughs> my farm, the house farm, and the dog farm. So there are the 10 properties that I scored and evaluated. The reason why I chose 12, because the state puts a limitation on how many applications can be submitted for funding. This year it's 10. I mean 12, excuse me. Um, but I just try to keep it simple. So, and you can see that in the initial ranking, one through 10, you're assigned points. So the number one ranked farm would get 10 points, the number two ranked farm would get nine points, the number three ranked farm would get eight, and so on down, so it's an inverted table. Okay? Mm-hmm. Next slide, please. Can we protest Jim being number one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I want to file a protest. <laughs> yeah. That's because I knew that follow thing. That's all. So that gets those properties, those particular properties, the ability to submit an application to the State Board of Trustees for funding. The property must be ranked in the top 12 to be eligible to submit an application. It is not first come, first serve. But you submit the application. Yes. They don't. That, no, well, I submit it. They fill it out. I help them with it because there's portions right. of it they can't fill out like the percentage of soils that are class one and farm and track number, they don't know that. And then the breakdown of how many tillable acres, how many woodland acres, how many acres are in the farmstead. I also have to list all the structures, the dimensions of the structures. I have to go take pictures of those structures. I have to do a photo diary of the property and give descriptions of that. So there are some things that they don't do. Um, but they, they submit the application, meaning that they complete the bid price and sign it and choose family lots or restricted lots for the lot abilities on the property. So now, do you also, um, do you do the, the vetting as well? In other words, you tell them based on the, the first go-through that you put together with their assistance and their help no. that, that they're not going to rank very high and that this might be a waste of time for them? or I do not tell them where they're ranked. That's not public information. Okay. She, she can't do that because I can't do that process when it goes okay. to the next level. So they know that they're in the top 10, but I cannot tell them where they're at in that top 10. Okay. Okay. So what I, why I underlined and bolded the not, not first come first serve, there have been people on the list for a very, very long time, but their soils are marginal. That's the reason why they're not moving up. You can't change your soils. The only thing that could change would be the adjacency to other properties that go into preservation. I actually had a farm that is applying this year. The last time they applied and put in a bid price was 1998. Mm. And they finally are back in the top ranking. Mm. So you didn't say earlier, how much does that discounting the rate, how much does that weigh in? Because I can see- I'm gonna get to that next. The local ag advisory board reviews and approves the top rel 12 ranked 
properties and submits to the county commissioners for you all for approval. And I have a public hearing to advertise those properties. Um, the county commissioners review and approve the top 12 properties for submission to the state board of math board of trustees. The math board of trustees review and approve or disapprove. There's reasons that they have disapproved and submit them for appraisal through the Department of General Services, and the state hires the appraisals. The counties do not. The state pays for those appraisals, and it's two separate appraisals on each property. Upon completion of the appraisals, the values on each properties are sent back to the county office for re-ranking according to discount of asking price to fair market value. Next sheet. So you'll see in step two of the ranking to discounted ratio. For wow. example... I took a dive. Margie's farm appraised for $8,400 an acre, and she asked for $3,459 as her asking price to preserve her farm. So she had a .5882 discount. So she was the highest ranked farm because she gave the biggest discount on her asking price compared to her appraised value. Margie, Margie, Margie. She wants to have her farm preserved. Mm. Chris was the second. His farm appraised for $7,926, and he asked for $33.55. So his discount was .5768. And you can go right on down the list and look at the appraised value compared to what they're asking for. Thanks a lot. <coughs> Thanks. Sorry, Chris. You ain't never won any more, Jim. No. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> um, so in this instance, um, you can see that they're taking into consideration, and this was the local ag advisory board's decision to do this. They want the best forms for the least amount of money possible. So we assign points, the same thing. If you're the number one ranked farm and give the biggest discount, you get 10 points. Right on down the list. Next slide, please, George. You are still number one, Jim. A couple points. So I take the score that you get from your LISA scoring system, which is the soil types and other attributes of the farm. Then I combine it with your discounted asking price. And that's how we re-rank and prioritize who gets funding. So in this case, Jim's property combined score is 17 points, so he is the number one ranked farm. As it should be. Chris is the number two. He got 16 points. <laughs> Margie is three and right on down the line. Now, you will notice that there are some that have a tie score. In the instance of a tie score, whoever ranks higher in the leases scoring gets top bids. So, for example, um, Phil and the dog farm both had nine points, but because Phil's soils were better than the dog farm, he got the um, number six <laughs> position. They barely beat the pup. No, I barely beat the dog. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Next slide, please. When is, her, when is her performance review? Honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For the re-rank and resubmission to MAF for funding, after the properties have been re-ranked and prioritized, MAF will start funding the number one ranked farm, fund the number two property, and continue down the list until the money runs out. Every property may not be funded due to limited funding that we've had in the past. A possibility of an insufficient funds offer to a property owner, MAF must make at least a 50% offer of asking price. And what that means... If we get down to the number five farm and the number five farm needs $650,000 and MAF only has $400,000 left, they are required to make them, send them a letter 
and asked them if they were willing to accept the $400,000 in insufficient funds offer. The law says that it has to be at least 50% of their asking price. But So why don't we touch a little bit on the money? I, you know, how much the state comes up with and how much our county gets and, you know, I mean, yes. you're, you only get so much. Yes. Our funding comes from the ag transfer tax. Okay. The ag transfer tax is when a property takes a piece of land out of agricultural production, puts it into residential use. There's a 5% tax assessed on that. Queen Anne's County is a certified county. We retain 80% of that agricultural transfer tax. The other 20% gets remitted to the state. Every county does that. The state takes that 20% and they come up with their initial allocation of money. Last year, it was $52 million, give or take. So that $52 million gets split in half. That half, so the $26 million gets equally divided among the 23 counties. The other $26 million gets split up among the certified counties. There's 17 out of the 23 counties that are certified, and we are one of them. And why are we certified? What, what's that? You have to meet criteria according to the State Department of Planning. You have to have a preservation goal. You have to have a pathway to get to that preservation goal. You have to put in county funding towards the matching funds offer. <clears throat> you have to um, preserve a certain percentage of land each year. You have to have it in your comprehensive plan about preserving the amount of acreage. So there's a lot of criteria that we, that we have to provide, and we meet that. And we've been certified for the last uh, 21 years. So the 17 you have, is it safe to say that the larger counties, larger populous counties are not certified? Because there's seven of those? Well, there's some counties that just don't pursue that. Um, Allegheny, I believe, is not a certified county. Um, Somerset County, I believe, is not. There's just different reasons, you know, and I'm, you know, it's it's not an easy report to do. It's a very difficult and intense report to do. But we've always had a priority preservation plan in our comprehensive plan. We've always had a preservation goal, and we're trying to get there. And we're well on our way to get there, well on our way. So, and when the comprehensive plan was updated in 2010, pretty much all the agricultural land was a priority preservation area. I mean, will we ever get to preserve all of it? No. Uh, there's some people that just are not interested in preservation, but I think we um, shot for about 60 or to 70 percent of that, and we're already at 42 percent. Mm. So we're well on our way. So, mm. um, and then the funding. Um, there are some counties that don't participate. Howard County is one of the counties that does not participate. So their initial funding gets sent back to the state, and that's when we talk about second round offers. So, and that's when they look at these discounted rates and the state looks at that as a whole. And we have been always very fortunate to, um, to be able to be the receiver of some of those second round offers. So the property owner, property owner must have the property surveyed if it has not been previously surveyed and it's at their own expense. That is only if and when they know that they're getting an offer from the state. When they get the letter from the state and the farm has not been surveyed, they have to survey it. That's a requirement. They must have a current nutrient management plan. They must have a soil and water conservation plan. Must obtain a forest stewardship plan if they have more than 25 acres of contiguous forest, forest land. A baseline inspection photograph of the property is required by the program administrator prior to the settlement. So I have to go out and physically walk the farm, take pictures, take pictures of all the buildings, and um, do an environmental assessment to make sure that there's no discolored soils, 
There's no um, commercial businesses in the, the buildings. There's no landscaping business there. There's something that they didn't report initially that I find that there's no violations according to what their initial application said. If there is a lien or mortgage on the property, the lender or the bank has to subordinate or collect all of the portion of the easement proceeds. And that would be come from the bank. This is a map of the county of our preserved lands. This was done as of July of 2019. Um, Sam updates it uh, probably quarterly, probably more than that actually, but that was the last one that I had. Uh, it was a little difficult to see. Next slide, please, George. So I blew up the um, acreages. Uh, the MAF easements as of July of 2019 was 30,366. MAF green print, that was just another funding source they had years ago, was 522 acres. Um, so if you count all of the preserved lands, rural legacy, CREP easements, private conservation easements, um, I believe we're at like 70, almost 75,000 acres is preserved in the county. So if, if you get the preservation and you were to allow your farm to go fallow, um, is, do they come back and check to make sure that you're actually still producing? I mean, it, I mean is there a, uh, a sunset to the point where they say, okay, you know, you've been doing it for 10 years, you're good, or do you have to do it for 15 years and show the same production levels at what you were at when you got your easement? That's a very good question. I monitor the properties. I have uh, 21 easements that are in a federal, they were federally funded along with mouth easements. They have to be inspected every year. So I had to go out and physically inspect them every year. Then I have to do a 10% inspection. So I inspect 52 farms every year and actually go out and physically walk. If there's a problem, if there is an erosion problem, if there's an area that maybe is not looking quite the way that it did a few years ago, we'll have them come in and sit down and we'll go over their soil and water conservation plan and make recommendations for them to either enroll into CREP, uh, maybe do um, a you know, crop rotation, but we work with them. That's why it's important to have that soil and water conservation plan in, in But mitigating place. any of that is at the farmer's cost after they get That's the correct. Easement, right? okay. Yes. So it has to stay as an active farm. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So there, you know, there have been questions about how these properties are chosen. So you can see it's a very extensive scoring system. And unfortunately, um, we have a ridiculous amount of um, requests. And I actually brought my list. Um, we have 142 farms on the list. And the last time I calculated, it was about 22,000 acres mm. that would like to enroll. So when you knock out, the last two years we've been very fortunate, we knocked out 18 farms. But when you take 18 farms and you submit 12 more, you know, getting down to that farm that's the number 100 on the list, and when I have continual additions every year, and I'm getting calls right now, when can I come in and talk to you? Unfortunately, we're closed. So, so. Are those ranked already? Those yes. Those you have there already? These so. are already ranked. These already have a score. These are the landowners, and they say to me, can I put in an application? And, I, and if you're not in that top 12, they don't get to submit an application because years ago I would take 40 and 50 applications and the state would appraise all of them. And it got so expensive, they were putting more money into the appraisals than they were into the easements. Gotcha. That's when the State Board of Trustees said, we got to stop paying for all these appraisals when we know realistically we're never going to have enough money to fund all of them. That's why they limit the number of applications to be accepted to 12. 
But like you said, you got a farm may come in this year that's a, just a stellar farm, just off the charts point-wise. It can move right into the top 12, even exactly. though people know, well, they don't know. But they're in the top 12 right now, but come time to submit the application. Like, yeah, you yes. get this. Like I, I do, said, you get one that comes in. and then Yes, I do have a cutoff period because the, the applications are due to the state by July 1st, so I can't have somebody come in today right. and say, I got you know, I want to apply. I, I usually cut it off by January 1. If they're not into me by January 1, then they wait until the following year because I have to get all this information together and I have to do maps and do the farm visits and do the public hearings and staff reports, and, and it takes a long time. But they come in and say they don't get it this year, but they're a top 12 farm or would have been a top 12 farm had they got it, and they're obviously going to probably be a top 12 farm next yes, year. Yes, unless they year. have a tremendous amount of people that come in and walk in the same way they did. Right, right. And it, that's, you know, that's why I say that. And I know the people don't understand the first come, first serve thing, but the state's objective is to preserve the best, the best. best farmland, mm -hmm. the most productive farmland. That's and the, then that's why the soil quality carries such a strong yes. part of the total points. That's correct. Right. And, you know, I had mentioned earlier, you may have a 250-acre farm with class two and class three soils and a 100-acre farm with mostly class one soils. The 100-acre farm is going to pop to the top. Right. So they're kind of playing a game because the appraisals are done after they put their bid price in. They don't know what their appraisal values are. So they, what I call bid blind. So I tell them when we sit down and have the discussion about money, I tell them you need to put a number down and roughly landowners know what their properties are worth. They don't include the buildings. If you got a half million dollar house on our farm, it's still a half million dollar house, whether it's in preservation or not. They do give no value to buildings. It's just strictly the land. So they know roughly what the land is worth. And, and um, historically, uh, with what's being accepted and to stay in the running to get funding, you need to be about 50% of your appraised value, hmm. give or take. And I, I give them that information of what the appraisals have been for the last three or four years. I give them the high appraisal value, low appraisal value, and the average of the 12 farms. I give them that information so they can kind of make an educated decision about what they need. Awesome. It's an amazing program. Yeah, it is. Oh, my yeah. God. And I'm telling you all right now, we're retiring in five years, so you better bring somebody in the next couple well, of years to train You better start bringing them in now and start training that person. <laughs> yes. It literally takes two years for you to learn the program. Literally. Because you've got child lots, exclusions, subdivisions, um, you know. Well, I'm sure you have somebody in mind that, that you can mentor. Not a clue. <laughs> Wrong answer. Not a clue. Margie? <laughs> Margie? Well, she got top <laughs> bids on the discount. So one last thing that I had in the, um, in the, the slideshow, or PowerPoint, excuse me, um, is the funding. And like I said, I've been doing this since 2005. Um, with what we received this past year, our total funds for Royal Legacy and MALF are at $57 million. So that's, that's been um, quite a, that's a huge amount of money to stay in the county, and the majority of that money stays in the county. Between buying new farms, farm equipment, seed, fertilizer, improvements on the properties. So I'm very proud of the fact that we've done that um, when I first came here, we had one application. In 2005, I took one application. 
that was probably the luckiest person because they're looking back going, man, I did it at the right time. Mm-hmm. Didn't I? <laughs> and you all didn't even have to put any county money in on that one. <laughs> uh, there you go. Mm. So is there any questions? And I, um, you had suggested that I put this on the county website. I will put it also on the soil conservation website. So anybody can refer to this, and if they have questions, they can look at it. Um, uh, this is this is not subjective, right? It's just not. And by the time I review it, second party review, our local ag board, you all look at it, our state board of trustees, Department of General Services, and the attorney general reviews it. It's there's well a lot of set of eyes on it. Sure. So well vetted. Yes. And, I, you know, I have one farm left, and I, I can't get in, so <laughs> I have no pull. <laughs> any questions? Oh, you did a good uh, job. I don't think you left any questions. I know. It's, it's intense, and it, there's a lot of parts to it, and that's probably one of the things that the general public does not know, that there's so many working parts to this scoring process. Okay. Thank, Thank you very much. You're welcome. Very awesome. You have two years to find your replacement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you, Donna. That's great. Very good presentation. Good information. We'll get it on the website. So it is. It's very we'll get that out there for folks. So uh, that's all we had, commissioners. So if you want to move over to um, roundtable. Roundtable. Press and public comments. Press and public comments. Oh, I'm sorry. Press and public comments. We can do press and public comments, but I don't think there's anybody here. Do we have any comments? Nope. No. No comments. No, no comments today. Close that down. Closed. It's closed. <laughs> Jack, you're up. I'm good. I'm you're good? I'm good. Uh, um, I was just hoping that we could get uh, an update on where we are with the comprehensive plan. Uh, if we can, I don't know if that can be something that Ms. Mordock and Mike Winoski can do Set in the next couple next of weeks. Meeting? Yeah, if we can meeting? get it next commission meeting, that would be okay. brilliant. Good idea. Yeah. We can, just we can because of, yeah. of the turn of events that have happened over the last month and, of course, you know, the COVID challenges and, and things like that. It was brought up at the Kent Narrows Development Foundation uh, meeting this morning. Um, just where were we on that plan? And I didn't have the foggiest idea. The, the other thing is, and I'm glad John, John Siemens here because we have to set up a meeting um, with you and myself and Gigi um, and perhaps Heather. Um, there's some... Um, questions as far as funding and, and dollar amounts and how we're managing it and, and how they receive the funds. And so um, they have lots of questions there, um, certainly out of my pay grade, probably out of anybody's pay grade on, up here, but certainly not yours. So if we could make some time, um, figure out a, a good time, maybe get with Gigi and they have lots of questions. This is for what? The Kent Narrows Development yeah. Board. So um, anyway, that's all I had. So if you could help me with that, John, I'd appreciate it. And then, of course, get the comp plan folks up here in two weeks. Mr. Wilson, anything? Hey. Hey. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I think this discussion we had about the beaches was uh, highly significant and that we have been so lucky and so fortunate and by such good work and sacrifice by the businesses of this county, we have this super low rate. And when you and I, the three of us or all of us, saw last week that disaster down on the beach, which was not 
even opening the restaurants up creates a little risk. But that mess on the beach the other weekend was inexcusable. And it seems to me not very neighborly to exclude the neighbors. But at the safety of our public, I don't give a damn. And that's the way it should be, I think. That's the way it is. Is that it? Um, all right. So for the COVID relief fund, we have $2.5 million set aside. <clears throat> and so far, we have awarded about $537,000 to 50 applicants. There's a whole bunch more applicants that are still in that are being um, reviewed. But if you haven't applied and you have a business in the county that was affected by COVID. You have extended it, right? Yep. Please, please apply because there there are funds there and we want to make sure that um, if you've been impacted by it, that we can help you out. So apply. And it's on choosegreenands.com. And if you need help, if you need help with the application process. Call Phil. Um, Heller, Heather Tonelli and her staff at the Economic Development and Tourism are actually helping help these folks <laughs> right. with these applications. Right. And so, if you think, oh, well, my business really wasn't that affected, you lose nothing by applying for it. Right. So you might you might be able to get some money in, you know, even if you think, oh, it's only small amounts, $1,000. You know, if you're a small business, that's a lot of money, and we understand that. Mm-hmm. Apply for that. I mean, yeah. you have a pretty good chance on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So do it. Absolutely. And I will say we, I want to thank John and his crew because we've been turning those checks around within a matter of uh, a week or so after the grants are awarded. So it's been a good process with our committee and uh, – the money's getting out to the community driving quickly. In the prize patrol with the balloons, like to <laughs> so it's been it's been very good. Balloons, <laughs> balloons, not 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 helium. Not so the whole idea, okay. the whole idea, the dragging was, them behind. The whole idea was delivering the delivering those checks to the businesses. That, I mean, that was it's gotten to the point where it's 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 too much. So we're actually our now mailing them out. They're not all being hand delivered because it's just. It's it's a lot of work to. We just went through a presentation for the mouth program and right. and, and and how intense that that qualifying. It's same with the with these applications, uh, they're being vetted by a, a group of citizens, business owners, right? So it's not the commission financial doing financial uh, lenders, bank people. I mean, these are some some pretty sharp minds that are are coming up with. Um, the dollar amount that they're asking for, weighing their applications, and then coming up with the end result of how much they're actually going to be given. Um, it's a, a, a monumental task, and, and, I, and I think that we've got some good folks that are doing that. And again, as Commissioner Corcorino mentioned, the, the commissioners have nothing to do with that process. This is all done by our citizens and this, and this board. So, Very good. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Good. Yep. Okay. Okay, I'd just like to wish the public a happy and safe July 4th because we won't meet again until after that. Uh, our fireworks at the Kent Narrows at uh, Ferry Point Park are Wednesday, I think July it's Wednesday, 1st. Wednesday, July 1st. It's going to be crowded. We're, we're asking people to keep your social distance. Uh, there, there will be no events, correct? We won't, right. There will be no right. events uh, going on down there. So really, come down for the fireworks, come down for the restaurants. Uh, and then get home safely. But uh, and rain dates the next day. Correct. Second. And I'm I'm looking forward to this. You know, as I'm glad you guys stuck to your guns and we kept fireworks because we're the only ones. And if any of us need a, one of those evenings to sit back and watch things go bang <laughs> that aren't on TV, so it's 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 a good thing. Good. Um, also, want to talk about traffic. We want to talk about our big. 
bridge across the, the waters that uh, uh, traffic is starting to heat up again. Traffic is, you know, the, the, the traffic going to the beaches is, is increasing. The number counts are coming back up. Uh, Todd, this, this information in here, can we put this on the website from Will, from, uh, Will Pines? Is I think that we something? can, sure. It's good I mean, there, there yeah. is, good renderings, yeah. for the public's knowledge, uh, everybody that's driven across the bridge has seen the steel plates, the boom, boom. Uh, <laughs> those them. steel plates will be there for two years. Uh, that They are replacing the joints in the bridge, and they've actually got two done because they've moved the plates. Uh, so they're going to be there. They won't be there during the winter months, but they're going to be there during the summer months, and it'll be done, completed by the fall of 2021. Uh, they've got some other projects going on. Uh, one of them, and if you're going to have to get on our link and find this document in our in our website, because you've got to click on this attachment that shows the new gate system. So if anybody's been wondering what all that construction is going on Kent Island on the westbound side, uh, there's automated gates, big ones and small ones, to do everything to push you over from one lane to two lanes, and the same thing from the left to the right to the right to the left, and Instead of me trying to explain it, watch the video because it's one of these little virtual reality things where you're driving down the road and the gates open up and yep. it, it's helped, it helps control the traffic. doesn't do anything to get us the traffic out of the county any quicker, personally, and nor does they show anything about gates moving eastbound. And I think that's a bigger problem right now is gates eastbound for when they open up ContraFlow and they don't open ContraFlow. Uh, I was stuck in a two-mile back up today. Uh, I don't know if it's a fender bender, whatever the case may be, but I'm heading glad. East, to, heading, heading east, you were yes, backed up? Yes, coming here, yes. And I'm glad to see Commissioner Wilson and myself will be on the brag, and I'm going to have a list of uh, suggestions and motions that I, I think that we should get some sort of monthly report. We should know every time there's a backup in either direction. We should know why there's a backup. So, you know, all that historical data is something that we can have, and, and I think that helps us in decision-making on what we do and what we suggest be done. So uh, we've got a meeting July 9th. Is that what it is, Chris? July 9th? July 9th, yeah, July 9th is when we're meeting with Secretary Slater. Yes, that's correct. And, uh, you know, to talk over the bridge and, and what can be done. And we, much as I hate to say it, we need to revisit our beach-to-bridge plan yep. and what we want to do with the deputies and shutting down some of these ramps. And, you know, it's funny because they had all these automated gates and wouldn't it be nice if we had a couple automated gates the and a couple exits uh, to stop right. things? And, right. you know, that brings me back to, you know, we should also send a letter to Secretary Slater asking him to, uh, you know, move forward, proceed with the uh, shutting down of uh, Route 18 at Route 50, you know, the left-hand turn, because that was one that they said they would do, and there's no barricades there now, and July 4th weekend is coming. And I'd, I'd like to have something in place for that Sunday uh, with the deputies. So if we've got to close down Nesbitt and Winchester Creek, at least we have access to the Narrows. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, I, I feel bad for everybody who lives on Kent Island, but, you know, this is, this is uh, the state. And I'll go one step further on the NEPA study. Originally, the first phase of the NEPA was supposed to be announced in June of 2020. And here we are in June of 2020, and we haven't heard anything. So I'd like uh, that same letter to request Secretary Slater what's going on with the Phase 1 or the NEPA Phase 1 and the decisions because Phase 2 is coming up, and that's the $30 million plus 
project uh, to keep things moving forward with a, a, a bay crossing. And, you know, we all may be long gone by the time there's a new bridge, but if we don't continually Stay keep our foot mm-hmm. on the gas, mm-hmm. you know, this first NEPA now is going to be pushing over five years, which should have taken four years. And how long does the second one last? You know, I don't know. But I think that we need to, we need to ask that question, what's going on with that, and, and, and get some answers for, for the public. So we are conscious of the traffic. We are trying what we can. Uh, but you know, it, this is this is a an uphill climb, and that's all I got. Anybody else? Anything else? No. Nope. Make a motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye.